fellow wanderers of the fourth dimension and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy i am mike he's emma and joining us we have some additional people from the other greatest show on the simply syndicated it's uh, mr shane thomas afternoon and mr jonathan wilkinson hello hi guys so we're going to talk series 11 well, Ted. <laughs> <probably>. Ted. <laughs> well, series we eleven was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually are to an extent talking about series eleven, given our initial initial um, topic of discussion. Mm. Yeah. So what we what we're planning to do first, everybody, is we're gonna have a chat about Jodie Whittaker and uh, reactions. These guys' reactions to the casting. Obviously, me and Mike have done a done a whole dang show about it. So. Um, We'll we'll talk about Jodie first, and then what we'll do is we're moving on to a overlook of the whole of series ten, what we like, what we didn't like, talk about some of our favourite episodes, the usual stuff. So, um, who wants to kick us off about Jodie then? Um, I don't mind. I am okay. I can, mate. I can, it just saves me emailing you, um, knowing <laughs> I was knowing I was going to guess on the show anyway. Um, uh, basically, she wasn't. I mean, I didn't know what the odds were odds were beforehand, so I. It was a shock to me. Um, mm. I did think it was going to be a woman. I'd have been surprised if it wasn't. She wasn't my ideal choice, but that doesn't mean she's not a good one. Um, very, she's a very good actor. She hasn't always been cast well, I think, but she can make the um, make this make the doctor work without a problem. My only worry isn't actually her and who's going to be starring, but who's writing. Um, right. Mm. I'm kind of, I believe, like like Chuck Emma. I'm something of a mm. Shibnall skeptic, but I will give him a fair chance to prove me wrong. I want him to prove me wrong. I don't want to show it to be bad. Um, you asked if Whitaker's Jody Whitaker's on Twitter. She's not. Um, it should probably remain that way. Yeah, hundred percent. At least for the next three or four years. My my only kind of main criticism isn't so much her or the cast of the cast of woman at all, and it's in and of itself is fine. It is just a general trend that I saw someone point out online, which was a very good point. Is Jodie Whittaker is the first woman to play this character. And when we talk about, in pop culture, but sometimes wider, the first woman to do something, mm. it doesn't always have to be a white woman. Um, and when you think of this, when you think of Wonder Woman, when you think of, um, I mean, Black Widow's in the Marvel Universe, but the first Marvel mo- movie with a woman is going to be Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is actually great casting in Brie Larson. I'm looking forward to that. But it's another example of a white woman. Normally, when it's the first woman to do something, it's like, well, it's obviously has. It always tends to be a white woman. It doesn't. It shouldn't always have to be a white woman. Um, right. Mm. That's not Jodie Whittaker's fault. Yeah. That's not even the fault Doctor Who. It, in and of itself, this is. There's nothing wrong with this. It's more when you see it, see it as part, uh, part of a trend. Um, I would hope that the whole diversity conversation that this one area has a positive um a positive impact is when you you hear it all the time it shouldn't be about a woman it shouldn't be about this that it should be about the right person for the role mm. the thing is everyone thinks that just some people don't think the right person always has to be a white cishet man which it always tend that's what most people say when they mean the right person for the role um right yeah and i'm not i don't really care about i'm not worried about rating so much as um the, the people are going to watch the show anyway who are complaining or the ones that are complaining never watched it in the first place. And I do think from what I'm seeing that this may initially at least, first couple of episodes, pick up potentially a lot of new viewers. Mm. Um, or my sisters watch a show when she was younger and then she hadn't watched a show for a few years and I saw her the other day and I um, briefly spoke to her about it and she said, yeah, I'll, I'll probably give it, like, give it a watch when it comes back on. And I, I don't think she's the only one. I think it may pick up... Um, 
a whole uh, potentially at least a whole lot of new viewers but it's only going to keep them if the writing's good um, and what, what the thing I really like about this that and the way it should be looked upon is um, more as an opportunity it gives it's such a great opportunity to broaden what this character can be and particularly mm. because with the Doctor I can't think of any character in fiction that has as much license to have their their boundaries stretched like the Doctor because we all know the Doctor can be anything mm-hmm. not just in terms of optics but in terms of personality type Doctor can be so much um, and at, at worst case scenario what you get with Jodie Whittaker playing this role is that you get to see consistently a woman protagonist be clever and I can't think how often you normally get to see that on TV like mm-hmm. be really really smart and outthink and outmaneuver people Um my main worry is, like you know, I, I think you, I think it was at Emma when you looked online and saw some of the overt sexism that people were saying, um, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. felt kind of inevitable. When the show comes on, my worry actually isn't so much that it's like you know Tardis full of bras and all that shit, but the coded way people are going to talk about her. So when the show mm-hmm. comes back, when you lot do your you know um, retrospectives episode by episode of series 11 the thing you really want to keep an eye out for is like digital spy or denner geek or other blogs think pieces whatever keep an eye if they start referring like you know jodie Whitaker does something to save a group of people save a planet help someone keep an eye if people start referring to her as maternal or nurturing mm. or this is a mm. this is a softer doctor mm. um that's more, yeah. You know, I'm more aware of that than someone making a woman driver's joke because the TARDIS doesn't go where it's meant to go. Um, yeah. uh, and also, when her, when she comes to an end, whenever that is, I also want to keep an eye out if people think, right, we done the woman thing now. We can go back to white cis hit men for the next like 15, 20 years. Um, and and why this? You know, there are some people who don't see the big deal about this. Why this? I think is a, is is a big deal. And it's a it's a really good thing. Is that um, I looked it up as an old tweet. It's actually when Peter Capaldi got cast, mm. um, and there was as good an actor as he as he is, um, and and good as he's been as a doctor. They summed up quite well. Um, a journalist called Bim Adewunmi, who she's a, a British writer, but she lives in America, writes for BuzzFeed and The Guardian, and she like writes about pop culture and this kind of stuff, and she summed it up really well she said i'm a black woman who loves pop culture my whole cultural life has been a series of compromises and begrudging tolerance um and i think i don't know if emma feels like this but sometimes that's how you feel when watching doctor who and other programs like that's definitely how i feel watching game of thrones well it's 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 how you i mean you know obviously i don't want to kind of you know step on your experience but i feel like yeah essentially you you as a as a fit especially years ago when I was young and all this stuff was not cool <laughs> mm. um, and it was very much you know the, all the information was you know in, in these kind of little cliques you had to kind of try and break into to um, to to understand it in the way that I think that the internet is enable a lot more people to get into I mean local groups dot two local groups Sosh's party left and right. I mean, it was all boys, and um, it was. It's yeah. It's just one of those things. If you have to essentially just go, okay, they're all. Everyone is a white dude in these things, and you just have to kind of. Then you end up latching on to whoever um, comes along, but you're sort of expected to just, you know, say, okay, um, 
you get on with Tony Stark or you, Captain Picard or Fox Mulder. You have to, you know, thank God for the Zany X Files where we had Dana Scully to hang on to <laughs> us girls. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's um, yeah. I mean, in the nineties, it start the things started to break down, and obviously when. Um, you had of the you know Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, a person of color in uh, as um, as the captain, and then we had a female captain in the series after that. Um, things started, chinks of light started to emerge. But yeah, you were definitely just sort of expected to go, okay, these are the properties, and it's all white dudes, and you either you 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 just hang on to that, or there's there's nothing for you essentially. Yeah, it's like you can, um, you, can, you can come in a bus if you want, but you be quiet yeah. and don't complain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you, it is what it is. And if you don't like it, you can hop off at the next stop. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I think you say one good thing that maybe um, the Internet has done is make it much more of a democracy that the the nerd cliques it is much harder to keep their secrets, if you see what I mean, and mm-hmm. to make it an exclusive exclusive little club of just these people um as much as much as people still try to do that that (laughs) you know you're not enjoying a thing the right way Mm. you know just go and have a look at any any youtube video about anything um i'm just reminded now that when remember when peter capaldi was announced on that kind of we're announcing the 12th doctor um show yeah and in his interview he said talking about the show he said doctor who he always thinks doctor who should be for everyone yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will go some way towards making it a show. Not everyone's going to like the show, but everyone should have the opportunity to like the show. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did remember seeing people online saying, "I've never watched a show in my life, particularly women, but I may actually give it. I may actually give it look in and see what and see what it's all about." Which is yeah. how I found the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, that's I, it. I stuck around. Yeah, I just I think as well at the moment because the B, you know, we us um, Mike and Shane, we had a chat about this on an earlier episode a few or well, quite a while ago now. Yeah. That once a t- once again we're in a time of not crisis but sort of the BBC's getting a lot of grief about their pay structure and getting accused of being bloated and all these things. So yeah, the when because the the Doctor Who is so synonymous with the identity of the BBC that. BBC get to kick in. Doctor Who usually gets brought into it in some way, shape, or fashion. So, doing this car, having this casted as well, I think, like the arguments for both these, the the BBC pay and who's playing the Doctor. Somehow, all these arguments got woven in, especially because the gender pay gap between men and women at the BBC was a big, mm-hmm. a big sticking point in these in this uh, in this reveal of BBC salaries. I mean, that news was what two weeks ago, and people are st- still coming up on the on the news now. I mean, I thought yeah. it would have been, you know, it's still yeah, I mean, people are still a, going on and on about it. So um, there's guy, yeah, I, um, there's a guy actually trending on Twitter right now. Uh, yeah, due to his Times article. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the Irish Sunday Times, who decided to indulge some lovely anti-Semitism towards Claudia Winkleman and Vanessa Phelps. Oh. But the point is, it's still the point is, it's still a hot topic enough to write something about it in a national newspaper. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, I mean, obviously, with then casting a woman, then the gender arguments, things that 
the BBC are doing, which is completely separate from Doctor, from Doctor Who world, all these arguments got intertwined, and you know, um, it was it was just such a mess. A couple of weeks, like the couple of days afterwards, or the Monday Tuesday, mm. oh, it was just a just a, a mess of stuff. And it was it was so hard to pick apart all the all the kind of well, as we knew, we all knew the hot takes were coming. Oh, yeah. This was this was inevitable, but trying to trying to pick apart the sort of the log- the leaps of kind of odd logic that people made in the <laughs> aftermath it was it was very strange well it's it's because any fair criticism of old bbc structure of which there is plenty by the way often oh yeah, oh, yeah. in people's agendas who just want to who just want the bbc not to exist in this current form um and so as one thing i've got to mention in terms of if you don't get why jolly work is a big deal um had you had you lot been watching like the fan show that they do on youtube after each episode and Doctor Who. I've seen. I haven't seen every episode, but I have seen mm. it. Um, it's actually not bad, considering it's kind of. I guess it's a the best kind of replacement we get for Doctor Who Confidentials once that got cancelled. But the woman, the it's presented by a woman, and there's she, she kind of has a man as a co-host, and they filmed and watching the the reveal, like like all of us. And I can't remember the woman's name, but what I do remember is that she said, "I never thought this would happen," and mm. she's someone that's loved the, has been in the show since she was a kid i think probably like yourself emma um yeah I never and i was happened. even i was taken aback by that that she thought she never thought she'd see this because even like i expect to see a black doctor at some point it might not be for a while but i do ex- i don't think that's never gonna happen mm. the fact that she is so dialed into the show and honestly and to her core thought she would never see it i never thought i would see it um, i'm the same as her i never i never thought they would make the leap Mm. I mean, I said on the last show um, that if they if they were going to do it, this was the time they were going to do it or they would never do it. Um, but I just I was so I don't know if it's just a cynical outlook, but I was so convinced they were going to go safe yeah. and it would be I was waiting for Chris Marshall, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I mean, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the very thought of that. Oh, but they spent like the last season and a half setting up the fact that it was going to be a woman, so I would have thought that would have been a massive cop out. Yeah, but in, you know, this, 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 and... this is Stephen Moffat. That, that, that's what yeah. he's writing, though. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Moffat did lay plant a lot of those seeds throughout, but Chris Chibnall doesn't have to pay attention to that. No, no, he doesn't. But it, it's even though it's a different show writer, it still has to have a continuity. Well, yeah, you could argue that this, it, but... you could argue this is Moffat's way of lobbying and putting Chibnall on as much pressure as possible. <laughs> say, yeah, you, you could say that. Yeah, he fenced him in. Yeah, basically stitch you up, Chris. You kind of got to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be very Moffat, actually. <laughs> have, I mean, you, have you seen? Um, apparently, now that Chris Marshall's the favourite to become the the companion, they're desperate Why do to shoot him in it so much. Well, because they don't want to be wrong. They don't because people were so, you know, especially the newspapers and, you know, it's definitely Chris Marshall sources tell me it's definitely this bloke because they don't want to be wrong and admit mm-hmm. they're wrong. So now that Jodie Whittaker is the doctor, they can say, oh, actually, he's the companion. <laughs> I know. It's you know sad, what I mean? <laughs> I'd, I'd soon have Stephen Merchant as a companion or something. <laughs> I'd rather have anyone else. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not to slam on Chris Marshall, but, you know, it's just like, guys, come on. I don't know what the fuss is about him. I yeah. never thought the guy's all that in anything I've seen him in. I mean, he just played that guy that he plays from Royal Family. Uh, not Royal Family, sorry. Uh, my family. <laughs> my family. <laughs> my family in every single thing. <laughs> um, he just plays that same buffoon type character. 
Um, I mean, to be fair, I mean, because Chuck likes um, Death in Paradise. um, And he was, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, from what I sort of saw of him, I mean, he was—he's he, not that kind of goofy character in Death in Paradise. No. Um, I mean, he's—I he's, mean, obviously there is a little bit. It's quite a light-hearted show, um, so to a point. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought he was fine in it. I mean, like I say, he wasn't swooning about on my couch, you know, watching him do this. So <laughs> yeah. I can just think of—I can actually think of, yeah, <laughs> so many better people. <laughs> I mean, there's one one person I can immediately think of to, to take us into series ten was um, in the um, pyramid at the end of the world episode. Mm-hmm. Mm. The woman that plays Erica, the scientist. Oh yeah, um, I think her name's Rachel Denning. Um, and also there is when the obviously because the doctor works with her on um, blowing up the lab and mm-hmm. killing all the bacteria, um, like. Um, he does that thing almost where he's testing them to see how smart they are. And he was very impressed. And I think he actually asked at one point, what are you doing after this? And um, I I think she'd make a pretty decent companion. Yeah. I was impressed yeah. with the scene. She didn't do much, but she did enough to be like, okay, there's some talent as an actor there. I'd be very happy to have her, um, to have her show up. I know the Doctor does it sometimes. Meet someone. You yeah. think, is there a companion thing going on? You never see him again. Well, they get killed off. Oh yeah, or they or they die. You're like um, you're like Kylie Minogue in um, um, Voyage of the Damned. Yeah, and Linda with a Y. But yeah, if it was announced it was her, I'd be very happy with that. Mm. We also had some feedback from Rick Tatro, friend of the show, uh, about Jodie Whittaker, and he says, uh, "Wow, I could not be happier about Jodie Whittaker." Like you said, the show needed a shake-up, plus after all the foreshadowing of the past two seasons, if they didn't have somebody other than a 20 to 50-something white dude, you probably would have heard me scream from England. And the teasers of all the MRAs out there just make this all the more savoury. I do have one slight disagreement with what all said about them ignoring the gender change. Well, yes, if it were just to be cheap, uh, ooh, my panties are riding up, they never did that before type of jokes, then please check that shit at the writing room door. But an organic investigation of the differences between how men and women approach problems would be very interesting in my opinion. A prime example would be the season three of I'm the Doctor and this planet is under my protection would be almost welcome. It was cool the first time and lost its teeth the more it happened. Also, and I know this may be wishing for too much too soon, but how about a transgender companion? That would be a very interesting dynamic. Well, in one of my my, um, um, potential companions, I think she made a good Doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. She's quite young. Done. Then there's the um, comedian actor Bethany Black, who was in. I don't know if any of you saw Banana, the spin-off to Cucumber that Russell T Davis did. She was in that. She's actually been an episode of Doctor Who, and I'm trying to remember which one it is now. It was oh, a very tiny role. Um. Oh no, I, I remember there was a transgender actor in Sleep No More, but I don't know if it was. It might have been Sleep No More, actually. Um, I think it was Sleep No More. Now you say it. Yeah. Um, if it, I'll double yeah, check. I'll that was. I mean, you, yeah. When you may hit Google, but I'm pretty sure that yeah, that was Bethany Black. Um, she um, she, she's actually a stand-up by trade, but she's an actor as well. Hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's correct. If you haven't Four seen it, go yeah. and watch. Uh, go and watch her appearance um, in um, in Banana because she. It's just, it's it's that Russell T thing where I don't think he even wrote it, but someone else wrote it, but. It's the the plot is actually quite serious, a very serious plot, but it does have enough light touches in it, and she and she's a stand up by trade, so she can obviously do the comedy thing. Mm-hmm. So um, she can act, but um, it won't be too heavy and too weighty. It will be, you know, when the companions need to be funny, like she can be funny. Yeah, 
Um, yes, yeah, so I think she actually made a good Doctor, even though she's a lot of the people I think make good Doctors are still young enough where I, you know, another ten years down the line, they'll still be fifteen years, they'll still be more than eligible. And Bethany Black's one of them. Um, well, according to Wikipedia, she's thirty-eight. Oh, is she? Yeah. What? Mm. Bloody then hell! Looks, well, then she looks a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, this is according to Wikipedia, so, you know, take it with a bit of salt, but uh, born 24th of December, 1978. So, there you go. Wow. But yeah, um, yeah, the, the yeah. campaign for Bethany Black can, can start here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jonathan, did you have any thoughts about Jodie Whittaker? Uh, I mean, pretty much already been covered by Chain and Emma there and you guys before, but I'm with Rick, like I just mentioned, to set it up. If they'd gone back on it, I would have been like, well, that's just daft. Mm. Um, and anybody that... And I've seen people on Facebook, there's um, a friend I have in America who hasn't watched it for, I think, for, God, three, like, three seasons or something. And she, she was like, there's a woman coming back. Oh, I'm getting back into that. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> pardon me. And, yeah, it's great to see a woman in the role. And and she's a good actress, from what I've seen her in. Well, very limited to seeing her in. I've seen her in Attack the Block... Um, my mum says she's good in Broadchurch. My mum knew more about her than I did because uh, my mum watched Broadchurch. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what she can do. Like, like any time they cast a new person in a new role, it's best to see what they can do before judging yeah. them. Uh, I don't care. Um, and all those people that are upset saying they've already ruined Doctor Who are just idiots. Um, and well, the- I say, um, what's good is if you go and look, if you look at the TARDIS wiki, um, there's a page on there with all the times that Doctor Who has died. And it's a list of about forty things that have happened in the, the world of Doctor Who, and yeah. it's died. <laughs> you know, like the, the first Doctor regenerates, Doctor Who dies. The, the, the third Doctor is exiled to Earth, Doctor Who dies. You know, so there's there's a, there's a saying in the Tar de France: uh, the Tar is dead, long live the Tar. Um, but it's really applied to Doctor Who. You know, one thing I think they do, and I really hope Chibnall does this with the next series, is more women writers on the staff, please. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, like, in an episode of what thirteen, I get Chibnall has to take the the finale and the premiere and probably two or three episodes maybe in between, so that's a third of the series. But that leaves you with what eight episodes? Like, can I can we have at least five of them? Preferably more written by women. Mm. Like Sarah Dollard's a must to come back, um, bring back Helen Rayner. I'd love to see Mallory Blackman be given an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, they still haven't had a single woman of color write an episode since the show's come back. Yeah, and more more women writers and stuff for mm-hmm. the next series. You know, it's funny. Um, Rick in his email mentions the MRAs. I noticed that um, there's a trailer going around for uh, a four part drama that uh, Jodie Whittaker's starring in. I think it's called Trust Me. I think it's starting in a couple of weeks, where a pack, uh, she's uh, playing a person uh, pretending to be a doctor. So I'm just kind of like, oh, no, <laughs> no, because you know what? There's a trailer. That. Mm. There's a trailer on the BBC that I've seen where she says, I'm not a doctor yeah. to somebody. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, that's getting clipped out, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I, think that's, I think that's where she's got the look for her reveal as the 13th Doctor from. Is she's got like the blonde sort of bob hair and she's, she's got the same thing. So I don't know whether that's going to be like um, we might have a different look for her when she actually does roll around. Oh, exactly. I mean, it's not necessarily that she should be blonde, mm. and she has said apparently that's not her outfit. Yeah, yeah, no, because that's 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 Capaldi's outfit. It's what it's how we'll see her when she regenerates. Yeah, um, mm. at the end of Christmas, but obviously, yeah, she's not going to be wearing that when um she does, you know, when she does her thing next yeah. year. 
when she is the doctor guys get it right like i said last time you know all this fuss all happens and we everyone gets used to it yeah you know like i say everyone kicked up a fuss about the war doctor changing the continuity and we got used to it missy's a girl now the master's a girl now we got used to it so i really think that it, it i mean i think the vitriol will be longer and more irritating than usual yeah um but I think it will. It will settle. It will. Mm. Yeah, and like I said, the stuff you need to keep an eye out for is the is the microaggressions and the little, just the tiny little things undercutting mm. uh, some more of the language. It it won't be. It won't be Tardis full of bras. It it won't be. I mean, that will exist, but that won't have much impact on um on mm. the overall conversation mm. around the show. It's the it's the little stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the episodes are bad, I'm pretty sure it'll be Wick who gets the blame rather than Chibnall. Oh, 100% will. Yeah, 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 100%. That's the kind of thing you, I would be more wary of rather than rather than MRAs because, you know, MRAs are just going to be MRAs no matter what. Look, I mean, to be honest, this is this is the eternal... This is what happens to women mm-hmm. in every walk of life. You have to be... If you're going into a dude-centric thing, you have to be the best and greatest at that thing. Otherwise, mm. forget it. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On that note, um, so shall we crack on with series 10? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, final thoughts, go. It was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, it was okay. I in, when I think of the series I've enjoyed the most, it's often as much with the characters rather than the actual episodes and stories. Um, mm. So, like, I've, I fondly remember series two. Even if you look back at the episodes, it's incredibly fitful as mm. a in terms of quality of episodes but it's because i really love the relationship between the doctor and rose um i really love the series with donna um because again the relationship between them was great and they both did such good um gave such good performances david tennant and Catherine tate i i don't necessarily fondly remember series three um mm. even though in terms of quality of episodes it's probably as good as any other um, but because the chemistry just wasn't there between Freeman Regiman and David Tennant, the performances weren't bad. And you can't, chemistry is a tough thing to quantify, and you can't almost know it, and you only know it until it happens. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, because I remember at the time of Series 3, rumours went around they didn't like each other. And, um, I mean, I, I don't really hold a lot of truck with that, but I yeah, mean, like you said, yeah. I remember like, Freeman yeah. Agerman went on a, uh, I can't remember what radio show, it was some radio show being interviewed, and David Tennant phoned in pretending to be someone else. He put on a voice, I think it was a West Country voice, saying, yeah. Um, um, like, yeah, the show's not very good, is it? And then she just went, is that David? And they just started laughing. So I don't yeah. think that, I know like David Tennant's very good friends with Billy Piper and Catherine Tate. I don't think he had that relationship with Freeman Agerman, but I think it was perfectly, it was more than professional. I don't think they had any there was no beef between them. Um, yeah, I'll say. I'll, I'll just say at the time. Actually, my fact checkers here, Chuck. Do you remember at the time of um, <laughs> series three that did you remember those rumours that went round the Freeman Adjaman and David Tennant weren't didn't get on? One fact check from Chuck later. All right, thank you. <laughs> right, the the roller deck says that apparently at the time, and I, I sort of remember this now. He says it that um, there was rumours that went round that Freeman Adjaman wasn't up to it that she didn't have the chops to to do the show and she ended up on tortured as an up yours to the show as to the doctor production team so you're saying that's what you just said she did tortured and came back in who oh it was a fuck you to the fans gotcha right 
Right, okay, because it was the fans putting malicious shit around saying she wasn't up to right. it, not the yeah. production team. Right, okay, that's it. All right, thank you. <laughs> like, like you were saying about the kind of shit women have to deal with. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, but I mean, as well, as a as a person of colour coming in after, the, you know, the incredible kind of unequalled majesty of Billy Piper, um, which, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when Billy Piper, people freaking out about her being cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's because everyone remembers her as that 15-year-old girl dancing around in her skirt. Yeah, 15, yeah. 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 And then the whole marriage the to Chris Evans thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, um, yeah no one even thought of her as an actor. Um, but yeah, so my point is that it tends to be who is almost on the show rather than the episodes. And yeah. because Paul Mackie was even better than I could have imagined, and because she had really good chemistry with Peter Capaldi, I think this is Capaldi's best performance in terms of his his acting. Because, mm. like, and as you get this with actors when they work together well, Paul Mackie brought a better performance out of him. Yeah, mm. mm. job on right. Yeah, the uh, Bill was the character that Doctor Who definitely needed after all the Clara stuff. Whatever your yeah. thoughts, whichever yeah. way fall down on Clara pretending that she was the thinking she was the Doctor, or whatever was going on at the end of that end game with Clara. There, Bill was just down to earth, norm. Well, right up until the end, uh, normal person. And I also love the fact that she was a lesbian, but they didn't have this whole like that's a plot point. She didn't come out or anything like that. She was just. Like she's gay from the word go. Now let's move on. Get on with it. Um, and yeah, and I don't know if Emma can relate to this as well, but Bill, Bill felt like someone I could have gone to school with, or like yeah, yeah. Bill, like, Bill felt like someone I would have grown up with. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially as well, be cheese from Brixton, and she? So I mean, it was like uh, it. yeah. So <laughs> it she, it felt like someone I knew definitely. And very similar to Billy Piper, uh, memory Charlie Brooker. Um, once said about Billy Piper, the game of which part of her face is going to be the biggest this week. Um, yeah. She has, oh, Mackie, she just naturally have a very expressive face. She has, like, her features, like, big eyes, big mouth, big nose, big hair. Um, Eyebrow goals. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, everything, as a woman. Everything, is really, everything is really, really striking. And there's a line, I'm guessing Moffat wrote this line after she was cast in the pilot in the first episode, where Bill talking about her face and she says, she doesn't like it. She says it's always doing expressions when I'm trying to be enigmatic. <laughs> and, it's, and it's the kind of like, like, it's not a poker face kind of face. No. You know exactly how Bill's feeling at any moment. She's not someone who really, um, and it's a, a, this kind of, I think it's probably um, aligned with how they wrote her. She's not a character that holds a lot in. She's not inscrutable. She's um, heart's very much on her sleeve. She's a very open hearted person. Mm-hmm. And that very, um, that, synced up very nicely with how she looked yeah yeah and, and it was actually nice to see this is not a dig at free management at all because it isn't a value judgment but it was nice you don't see it often to see a, a black woman on screen with their hair as it naturally grows out of her head mm-hmm. isn't a paint yeah. superior to chemical chemically relaxed hair or straightened hair but um you don't often see uh if you see black women on screen normally it's straightened hair mm-hmm. um and this was just the hair as it grew out of her head naturally. And again, it wasn't made. It was good to see, but um, in, it's, in, a, in a way, it's almost political, almost like a sexuality, but not used as a plot point. No one, no one put a hand yeah. in her hair at any point. Mm-hmm. No one said, um, no one made a comment about the size of her. It was just, it was just there as a part of her. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, maybe if you like holding her up to um, free management's um, 
Martha. Martha was trying to be like a professional. She's like training to be a doctor. So, but Bill doesn't have those sort of aspirations. So she's yeah. So it's, yeah, you probably um, that's probably why she's so like expressive and things like that. So yeah, no, that, that is probably true. That if you are just if you yeah uh, if you work in professional um, arenas mm-hmm. for want of a better phrase, then yes, Martha's the kind of character that maybe had to without even realizing it had to learn how to slightly turn the volume down on herself. Yeah. Which is, uh, I know something that people sometimes feel yeah. when they look into those environments. Like there is, I mean, it's years old now, but there's a front page of, of the voice newspaper where a black woman's told to lose her braids or lose her job. I think it might've been a lawyer's at the law office. It was in an office mm. of some kind. Um, yeah. Where, yeah. Bill, Bill is, Bill was essentially a dinner lady. Yeah. But just in a universe, in a university, um, and still, yeah, hasn't reached that phase in her life where I I need to be, you know, I need to be kind of settled down and steady job and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's in any way, you could argue she's the first truly millennial character because she's not a teenager, no. but we're guessing she's in her twenties. But she hasn't got secure housing. She lives no. with her foster mum. I think we've got to put, put we'll, we'll do a rant about the foster mum right. character in a minute because I have things to say about it but yeah. you know let's let's put <laughs> let's park that for a minute right. just so yeah just to say <laughs> that like her her almost her pathway in life is still to be determined in, yeah. a, in a way that's similar to Donna and that is similar to um similar to Rose um yeah. but I, I imagine younger like people in their 20s watching this will definitely live in London will um yep. will um, <laughs> relate to insecure housing, insecure employment, insecure relationship status. Doesn't mean like your life's terrible, but nothing is set and everything is still up in the air and nothing's been defined yet. Um and yeah, I mean, living can... on that carity. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, as much as we, we all hate to admit it, I mean, we're all of similar similar age, and technically, I think we're all millennials. Mm. I mean, because I think because yeah, technically, the millennial yeah. age starts at 1983, so when me yeah, and Mike like we, were all we yeah. yeah. just under the wire. Yeah, because we. I'm, cause I'm we're, in there for a good few years. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Because I mean, I definitely don't feel that way because. Um, I mean, because of my age, I'm not, you know, obviously we're too young for Generation X. We're mm. not Generation Y. We don't feel like millennials because of all the cliches of that yeah. people have developed about millennials. Yeah, like we don't but, have Snapchat accounts. You know, all that's it, exactly. I'm too old for Snapchat <laughs> and Instagram and all that bollocks, you know. But I, I could definitely relate. I said, I don't know if it's just, a, you know, obviously living in London. I don't live in London anymore. But um, part of the reason why I moved out of London is, again, because... Like, I think that's probably why we all, I don't know if it, people who are maybe older than us or younger than us connect to, you know, kids connect to her in quite the same way. But she's a reflection of of all of people our age, like exactly like mm. you say, Shane. She is, you know, you know, all of our social state, all of our uh, have moved jobs. I think I've had, I mean, in the time I've been recording this podcast, I've had two different jobs, you know, um, I mean, I'm married, but, you know, a lot of my friends aren't or, you know, in and out of relationships and things like this. But um, it's it's that sort of thing of she's relatable in that way. And also something that they sort of picked up and put down occasionally with her is the pop culture stuff. Because, mm. again, we're all nerds and we we speak pop culture. We speak in movie references and TV references and books and games and things like that. And she's like that as well. Yeah, I mean, with with that because um, I didn't really notice that until you two pointed out earlier in the show when you were going through the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, what she, again, this is, I think, 
actually I'm reinforcing my point about her being a millennial, um, mm. a millennial companion, is that because for us we would we would basically be indulging in this type of um, culture regardless, no matter where it stood in terms of the mainstream. But because it has it is now so mainstream, mm. um, the biggest the biggest uh, um, movie franchises in the world right now are Star Wars and Marvel, with maybe DC in the top five. Um, mm. Is that like my my um, the sister I mentioned earlier, she was in London uh, last week, uh, earlier this week, and we went to go see Spider-Man. Now, she, she's barely maybe read one comic in her life. Um, <laughs> as I said, she's kind of fallen out with Doctor Who. Yeah. She doesn't frantically watch all these, all, these, all these shows, all this stuff. She probably won't want to like, watch Star Trek when it comes to Netflix. But she does have a Netflix account, and she, you know, she will watch things now and then. And the idea of genre fiction, superheroes, time travel, um, battles in space is not alien to her. It's actually quite normal. So yeah. the I- mm. ideas of yeah. mind wipes that came up in the pilot and stuff—that's not. Um, it's basically it's a language that she, it may she may not be fluid in, but she's literate in. This is talking about my sister and mm-hmm. Bill is the same. I think a lot of people of this generation are now the same because they're not geeks, but they're still going to go see Star Wars at the end of the year. They've probably gone to see like Wonder Woman or Spider-Man, one of the two. They're going to go see the Avengers next year, mm-hmm. uh, the um, Infinity War Part 1. So it's a natural part of the cultural diet that they um, um, they consume. So for Bill to be pop culture literate, unlike Donna, unlike Rose, unlike Martha, unlike um, unlike Amy, basically unlike all of them that came before, mm-hmm. it sometimes feels like you're shoehorning stuff in just to move the plot along. And that's how it felt a little bit at first. And then, mm. as you two kind of pointed out when you brought it up on the show, that this is actually how this, this generation understands things. They mm-hmm. do understand things through the prism of pop culture now because it's ubiquitous and it's everywhere and it's unavoidable. And you're more likely, it's more likely to find, um, or you're, it's less likely, sorry, to find someone who doesn't understand these things. Hmm. Yeah, and the whole the whole um, pop culture reference thing with Bill wasn't, although it, was, it seemed like a big part of her character, it never came up that much. I think it was maybe it's only like the pilot and Empress of Mars where it was like really sort of pronounced. So I don't know whether it was like just part of like the the sort of the the character bible, if you will, that they usually well, have. Or that's what that's what we said at the time, especially yeah. in Empress of Mars, that it felt like it had been written by some like Mark Gates, having just read the character bible and not seen her do anything mm-hmm. but I think, oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure it was written that was written as part of the character yeah um, yeah but i think to maybe it's like have it in every episode would have been too excessive because then she would just would have been like a, oh it's the pop culture referencing companion do you know what i mean so i mean it was look a good thing that like pearl mackie's been so stellar throughout these series to like sort of raise bill as a character beyond just these few like points like she's a lesbian she lives with a foster mother she like has this pop culture like view of the world and things like that so um yeah i mean on on the the foster mum um because yeah you took a dislike to the foster mum immediately i mean i it didn't i don't know it didn't kind of um trigger that annoyance in me and i've rewatched some episodes earlier in the week just to look at it again and look at the whole show again and yeah she is curt and stuff and very short at times with bill and mm. may and i don't like i'm not wedded to this viewpoint this is more me just putting an alternative viewpoint out there for the sake of conversation um to make you know for the sake of good 
sake of good podcasting. Now, <laughs> is it just that they relate their relationship almost when you're, you you and it's not even a romantic relationship, any relationship with someone after enough time, you sometimes almost communicate just in snark quite a lot of the time um, because you know no one means it, you know no one's mean to be hurtful, um, and that's just the way they. I don't know, maybe not, I mean, maybe she's just a horrible human being. But, um, <laughs> That, that just I wonder if that was just the way she communicated. One tiny thing about her in, oh, I think it was Extremis. Um, mm. Yeah, it's Extremis. The date that um, Bill has with Penny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she brings Penny back to hers. Um, they've obviously been somewhere and they've come back, you know, and it's late at night. And then um, um, the foster mum comes in. I mean, one thing we do know is that the foster mum doesn't know that Bill's a lesbian. Bill hasn't come out to her. Um and she makes a comment about, you know, I feel like bringing men home. It's like, oh, it's a woman, it's fine. And then she just puts her cup and goes, right, I'm going out to the pub. And it's like, what time is it? Make <laughs> just back from somewhere. You're just going out to the pub now. It's party animal, foster mum party animal. Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> like, it's got to be what, half nine at the earliest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. So yeah, I maybe can barely remember the foster mum apart from that one bit. So I don't think she had any impact on me. Maybe it's just I don't know. I think I think this, I I do feel like me me and Mike are the only people on planet Earth who are mad as about this as 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 we are. But I feel like I don't know why she was there. Yeah. Well, yeah. She was just so taking up space. You could get rid of her because I feel like she was. This, I, I, this is sort of open, sort of the one of the things that I have a fundamental problem with with the overarching story of series ten. Full stop. But. I feel like she she's literally there just to snark and cause a problem, mm-hmm. and say she she's not like say Donna's mum who is when you first meet her very flinty, and yeah. then as time goes on you grow to to love Sylvia, but um, it's. I do wonder if they were going to try and do that, but I mean, she never meets the doctor. She never. She hardly ever see her sort of coming in or going out of the flat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wonder. I just don't understand why she's there, just, apart from to just make Bill feel like shit, and then to go off and you know give her motivation to either go off with the doctor or move into the the uh, shared house in Knock Knock. Um, I just, it's time that we could be hanging out with the Doctor and Nardo, and it just feels like it. Whenever she's on the screen, I just she just sucked the life out of me. Mm. And I know it's probably what she was maybe meant to do, so that you're like saying to Bill, "Now come on, you go with the Doctor and do something else." But I just feel like Bill was so on board with the Doctor from minute one. Yeah, she didn't need that motivation, and I just feel she just made up screen time. And to what Shane said, yeah, I think it is easy in, especially in you know, in a lot of familial relationships that some if you have a poor relationship with someone it can just descend and descend into sort of that snarky thing but um yeah she was oh. just I, I don't really under, i just don't fundamentally understand why she was I'm, there i'm wondering if my wondering is if because we only get bill for one series apparently um which is a crime um maybe they didn't realize that when they were sort of writing the show at the time and then just thought uh eh, she's we were going to do something with her and then cut her out of a lot of sh- episodes. Well, I mean, this is this is what I'm going to probably going to be my overarching point about what my issue was with series ten altogether. It feels like they had like three different ideas as to the overarching what the overarching story of series ten was going to be, mm-hmm. and then abandoned all of them. Yeah, I mean, just a could... potential theory just about the um, the foster mum, why she was um, framed that way. 
even mm. though I mean, and look, I mean, look, this subjective. You feel the way you feel. No one's no one's wrong here. Even though, yeah, you might see people that were like you. You were pissed whenever she was. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, me and Mike and took such I, intense dislikes. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm, you know, I just never felt that. But I'm wondering if maybe she was framed that way as a way to elevate the um, our opinion and Bill's opinion of her biological mum because she comes into play yeah. as mm. a as a concept rather than actual person very importantly in the lie of the land which was a mess as an episode but in yeah, terms but of the, the narrative she that's what i'm saying as, as a, yeah as a part of the narrative because they didn't because it isn't it, it's not enough there to kind of like you say to put her in opposition to bill's mum who's obviously mm. because bill's mum passed away when she was very young bill thinks of her as a saint essentially yeah. um so but this, the series as a whole didn't do enough to, you know, we didn't commit to that storyline. So by the time we get to Lie of the Land, we haven't had that build up to make that end bit pay off. Mm-hmm. So That's because, like I say, because the step mom, or the foster mum, I should say, is, you know, I think she's maybe got 10 minutes of total screen time. She's just a waste of space because they yeah. don't, because you say you've got the vault which gets resolved halfway through. Mm-hmm. What well, what's in it? It's it's now too late to make the master and Missy stuff really sing out because we've wasted six episodes, you know, not knowing what's in there. Yeah. The the, the stepmom stuff that isn't, you know, and again with Bill's mum, you know, we don't explore the things of the doctor going back and taking pictures of her to give to Bill. Bill never brings that up. Exactly. Um, you know, and again, so we haven't because we don't know enough about her and Bill's life and what actually happened to, you know, where's the dad at and all this sort of thing. We don't know enough about Bill and her relationship with her mum, what exactly happened to her mum, to put her in opposition to the foster, to the foster mum enough. So mm-hmm. her being shitty to Bill doesn't pay off. You know, yeah. it, we haven't got this sense of Bill now having to escape a crap situation and then leaping into the doctor's, not to the doctor's arms essentially, but going off with the doctor <laughs> as a way to get out of that flat and out of that situation and be mm-hmm. empowered to go and do something else. They don't, they don't put enough into that idea, so that doesn't really work. And then by the time you get to lie of the land and the stuff about a mum, we've got four episodes left, yeah. and it's like, well, shit, we've got to do something. Uh, just do side men at the end. That, that I think is to- totally fair, and that's in terms of just episode quality hurt, because, and this is Moffat's big problem, particularly with his finales, too much, too much, because you've just mm-hmm. mentioned some of the storylines. You've also got yeah, establishing Belle as this new character. Her, you know, in terms of her travails and being unlucky in relationships is a, is a theme that comes up, but yeah, it's not really honed in on, um, um, honed on intensely. Um, you have... I guess the storyline is the potential redemption or not of the master. Mm. Um, mm. You also have the doctor getting closer to um, his uh, regeneration, which is normally a big thing with the final series of whoever that doctor is. Um, you have to give Nardol a decent amount of time, which I'm glad they did. Yes. And it, and mm. yeah, and it's it's too much. And it is it's that thing. Um, it's that thing. It's that difference between being nicely drunk and having had one or two too many now you feel a little <laughs> bit sick it's, it's a spider-man, spider-man free issue isn't it it's, it's yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah for, forever be known as the spider-man free problem <laughs> <laughs> or it'll be forever be known as the emma goes to a simply syndicated meetup problem um, <laughs> she's fine she's fine she's fine oh no now she's yelling at the owl statues in Leeds city center about being in the illuminati okay <laughs> <laughs> 
there are a lot of owl statues in Leeds. Why are there so many owls? Um, I just think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that three-parter is kind of sums up the entire series. I know a lot of people have already said this, but because mm. it was like, oh, this is quite good, and then they had that the Doctor faking his regeneration thing. I was like, yeah, what the fuck is this? It it's like no one knows. He's not, everyone knows, apart from that one dumb YouTuber that I watched. That the Doctor's not going to regenerate in the middle of a series. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, um, but I mean, my big problem with that scene, as I said in the review of the episode, Bill doesn't know what regeneration is, yeah. so she, he's doing it for nobody's effect. But he's he could just fall down and go, eh, you know, and that's it. Well, um, apart apart from for the audience, I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, I mean, that's where you have to you have to kind of um. It's it's um it's the old thing in maths exams. You can't just have the answer. You need to show your work in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. too often in this series, they didn't show their work in. Yeah, they just had things happening without any context and justification, so that you, as an audience you can go, okay, that makes sense. That would happen. Yeah, I mean, some good ideas like the the spaceship that was massive, so time was moving differently. Yeah, I great idea. That's a really good idea. I've never thought of that. No, that that's kind of like what is it? Interstellar's thin where yeah. the time moves yeah. differently but you know put down to an understandable level and a, a level and the doctor didn't end up going through a black hole uh manipulating yeah. time um yeah um and i really like that idea and then he's he does do cybermen reveals quite good does Stephen moffat he did it in um was it uh, dark water, water. Yeah. yeah yeah that revealed dark water we knew it was coming but it was still amazing and then he fucked it up in the following series <laughs> well Dang. i mean we're talking about Job. dark water um <laughs> I mean, talking about Dark Water, there's another thing that sort of irritated me about the the Cybermen at the end. I mean, you have an opportunity there to link what we see in Series 8 much more strongly. Mm-hmm. And they miss an open goal, as far as I'm concerned, because you have the Master Regenerate into Missy. She's surrounded by Cybermen. And she's gone through this very weird experience with the 12th Doctor. So in her fucked up brain, she's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him a brilliant present. Mm-hmm. And yes, then, yeah. you know, so, you, I mean, how much more impact, how much better? I mean, because if we're going to talk about overarching stories, we should, you know, we'll talk about Missy. Her, you know, her storyline from right beginning of Series 8 all the way to here and her arc with the Doctor yeah, and right. her mm-hmm. and her coming back around. It's a perfect circle. Yeah, just only... connect it connect it you're right there do it and they didn't do it the reason that i bet they didn't do that is because it gives them leeway to bring back a master that was in between john sim and missy that's the obvious thing that they're obviously going for but i did like the playing out of missy's storyline like yeah. that final scene was really good mm-hmm. uh between her and john sim the other thing is the reveal that john sim was going to be in the series kind of just blew the impact out of the last couple of episodes yeah. Uh, I know that's a that's a people being idiots. We're going to force the leak situation. They can't really do anything about that. It's always going to happen. Um, but it's yeah. like, oh, John Sim. Well, I wonder who John Sim. I wonder who this guy is that's pretending to be kind to. Uh, yeah, I mean, five Billy. minutes. Yeah. Five minutes. It's like, all right, it's clearly John Sim. That's all I need. I mean, one thing I just forgot as well about Missy's storyline is actually series nine. Remember the episode, I think it's early on, with the Daleks? Yeah. Um, Which Clark, is really, uh, yeah. And she gets trapped with the Daleks, surrounded, and she just stops and gets a, you know, a evil smirk and goes, I've just had a hell of an idea. And then they cut, and you don't see her again. You're like, oh, okay, well, that, that will play in. Like, she, <laughs> she'll come back. She'll have had a brainwave to not be fried by the Daleks and for a future evil scheme. And, me, oh, and I'm sure oh. there was. You don't see it. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like no, I think That's... I think you probably see the end result because she, when she's about to be executed, they mention that she's pissed off the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but so. I mean, give us something. Give us something. I mean, that's the that's the thing. I think series ten would have been much stronger if they decided that it was going to be. It's okay to not be about what the Doctor and the Companion as such. Make it about Missy. Mm-hmm. It yeah. can be Missy's story, and I mean that's that is my fundamental problem with series ten. Individually, I tremendously enjoyed the episodes, and going back and watching them, I still like them a great deal. I mean, apart from a few clang- clangers which we've talked about. But it's, I mean, it's okay to not have an overarching story. I mean, season seven didn't have, series seven didn't have one, essentially. Mm. Um, And that's fine. But I think that, generally speaking, we come to expect that there's going to be some overarching theme. Well, especially with Moffat. Especially Mm. Moffat. That's his whole bread and butter, especially, you know, absolutely right. And you've got such an open, I say, you've got an open goal. You know, yeah. you've got you've got all the story. You've done all the hard work. Just connect the bits together, and I can't work out for the life of me why they didn't do it, and why they have like three or four different ideas, and none of them pay off because they didn't decide on one. Yeah, well, it it was really like taking. There was just a lot of undercooked stuff, stuff coming out the yeah. oven too early. And one thing I and I didn't actually realise, in terms of the schedule with the show, um, and this. It's going to take me to an over uh, over <laughs> arching opinion on the show in general, and we can go back to the other stuff that happened in the series. Is that he was talking with actually that interviewer from the fan show on the week that the finale was going to come out, and they released the interview, you know, just after the finale, mm. and he was saying that a lot of people don't understand in terms of uh, the scheduling, in terms of the work that has to go in. People think we arrange the air date for episode one. And then we go to the BBC, and then we just give them a box of like twelve DVDs <laughs> or Blu-rays. And say, there you go, there's the series, and put one out each each Saturday at this time. He said that's not the case. When we put episode one out, and it was aired out there on television, and we're all talking about it, we're still working episode four. Mm-hmm. Like he he had said in this interview, so this is the week the finale came out. That after I do this interview, with you, I have to go and then do some stuff for the um, Christmas special. He said Capaldi wanted some more action, so I have to you know, write some more action into the Christmas Christmas episode. Um, which does mean you and you already mentioned, and I, I do think this doesn't excuse bad writing, but you do have to, if we're going to analyze, you have to analyze, be fair-minded and contextualize everything. That part of the reason that Monk's trilogy was so bad was Moffat was going through the grief of his mother dying. Mm-hmm. You yeah, can't absolutely. say that doesn't have it did not have a detrimental impact on uh, on those episodes. Now, how good, how much better they would have been, I don't know. You know no one can say for sure. Mm-hmm. But what I think we, it's safe to assume that they would have been better than they had been because with all ideas, it's time, you know, yeah. ironically for a show that involves time travel. You can have a premise. A premise isn't a story. Saying mm-hmm. this happens and then this happens, which means this happens, is not a story. Mm-hmm. That's just an idea. You need to do more to actually make the idea it's you know it's it's ingredients to bring out the food knowledge it's ingredients it's not mm-hmm. a meal you still have to put the ingredients together you still have to make sure it's cooked right you need to make sure it's in the oven or in the pot or in the microwave whatever before you then serve it to be eaten mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff was served that was like if you just worked on this a little bit more this meal would have been so much you know it wasn't it, it didn't make it wasn't it didn't give us food poisoning mm-hmm. it wasn't distasteful apart from the odd bit here and there but it wasn't as 
as delicious as it could have been. Like, you, you know you've just... had better. Yeah, yeah I... I mean, it reminds me way back when... Uh, when RTD was in charge and people used to sort of be very sniffy about the fact he would have tone meetings, you know, these things where people would sit around the table and say, right, okay, so this episode about this, this series about that. And I can't believe they don't have them anymore, but I just feel like were there no meetings happening in this, for this series? I mean, maybe it's scheduling because they don't have a Dr. Light episode and like the, um, yeah. Like the Davis era when they did, which um, meant they could film two episodes at the same time, which probably, I mean, maybe bought them an extra couple of weeks for this kind of stuff. I mean, I I think it's a good idea because mm-hmm. you're running Doctor Who is unlike any other program um, in this country. It is more American-like, mm-hmm. so you have yeah. to almost think through that mindset. And also, you you're playing to a global market these days. You have to be as professional as you can. It can't just be a guy sitting in an office. Or a woman, maybe that's normally a guy, a guy sitting in an office just writing down, this would be cool if this happened. You, Yeah, you do need a bit more, um, a more almost slightly holistic approach where you need to be in constant contact with your writers and constant contact with producers. I mean, just one big group chat on WhatsApp or one Slack channel. And you need to be communicating on a daily basis so that it, so it's joined up because at times it's not joined up. And personally, I would... Because, I mean, that's the thing. It's, we sound like these people are being incompetent. They're not. I think a lot of the problem is they're making an American-style show with British-style resources. Mm-hmm. Like Doctor Who, even though is has, has probably the biggest budget show in British television comfortably, it's still, in genre fiction, it's still low budget. And they're hmm. still you're still almost at times making things on a shoestring, even though I watched Dark Water yesterday, that two-parter. The effects of series nine between the effects of also that's series eight actually wasn't it the effects of yeah. series eight between the effects of series 10 are so much better now they mm-hmm. the visually the effects look a lot i mean miles better but um you're almost kind of almost playing catch-up always playing catch-up because there's just so much to do and i i mean this won't happen but i personally would be fine with a series of 10 episodes or even nine and a christmas special i would rather have nine to ten good things that fit together better than 13 that's up and down in quality you know they've, they've, they've been having this struggle for minute one I remember way back like in series two and things like that that um, I can't remember it's the mill was with the police mm-hmm. that the people used to make do the effects yeah and people were talking about they're not going to get out on time it's not happening it's just too much for them to do especially like from series to series to series like say 13 and a Christmas special they couldn't they were so under the cosh, it was unbelievable. I think it was, they were, you know, it was on the day they were doing stuff mm-hmm. to get it out on time. And I remember people saying about they can't possibly maintain this. And it, it, when we had the, uh, the the four episode year after series uh, four, mm-hmm. um, it was it was seen as an inevitable consequence of having to produce this much show in this amount of time. Um but uh, yeah, I still, I, I, you know, I do feel like I wonder if it's in part a problem with our expectations that we expect an overarching plot or an overarching idea from Doctor Who, and when it's not forthcoming, when we expect one, mm-hmm. you know, we're disappointed. But they never said it was going to be that way. Oh. I am looking through the episodes, and like I said, it doesn't feel linked all together. But I think individually, there's nothing I can remember absolutely hating. Uh, no, thinking that was but it's just a terrible. bit like um, you know it's a bit like you know obviously you guys are here so let's talk let's use a sporting metaphor <laughs> all those times they put together the dream teams 
right? You know, every the, the possible best possible people, any sport this could be, you know, and how could they possibly not win everything? And they don't because they don't mix together. Mm. You know, eleven or five or six or seven great, extremely great individuals on a team does not a great team make. Mm. Yeah, um, and that is and, that is the problem with series ten. And there, well, I mean, I think it's been an issue, yeah, throughout most series that there is. Um, I think Moffat's Moffat's ten is probably is has some great individual episodes, but there is a lack of joined up thinking. I think it's because his like his ceiling is higher than Davis's without a doubt, but his floor is also lower. Um, and I think because. Um, his style of storytelling, and this isn't a value judgment because it's subjective, but his style of storytelling, I think, is more difficult to pull off. Mm. And I, I think he could do with an extra few weeks, like an extra, even an extra week for each episode. I think would have some of them were fantastic, but would have had an overall increase in quality. Um, I do, I do think that's that, that's an issue. I mean, it's incredibly difficult. Like it's, it's an incredibly difficult vehicle to manage. It is like trying to move move a submarine mm-hmm. and almost having to try and make it move like a speedboat it's an incredibly difficult job and this is part of the reason why i think after three or four years or five they're like okay i can't do any more of this yeah. um yeah. like yeah. the moffat said well, like what next for you said next i'm going on holiday <laughs> <laughs> holiday with like a gnt and that's gonna you know that's that's just gonna be me and the other problem obviously is i mean we'll, we'll get into a massive moffat thing which is a really a separate really a separate episode um yeah but yeah um also the issue of sherlock but, um, I was about to say it's oh that's great. Uh, yeah, two yeah, driving two oil tankers at once. Um, yeah, and Sherlock last season suffered from exactly the same problem. It had no coherent arc going on there, um, and this had the same. Except this, I think, was better quality than the last Sherlock. Um, what I wouldn't want to see is going into the next series is just a return to the mundane, though. Like no representation of whatever of like. Like, so you had no. I mean, not only did you have Bill as a lesbian that didn't have an overarching storyline, where the lesbian, the fact that she's lesbian was a storyline. Um, you had other characters. Like, well, when she went back to Victorian age and she was confused by all the uh, people of color that were there. Um, when she went to Rome and the guy was like, "Yeah, I'm just cool." Well, not Rome, Scotland, but the Roman episode. <laughs> also, more more TV shows should be set in Rome. Um, and it's just true I mean <laughs> Spartacus should have led to a revolution in television but it didn't um, but they, when she was in the cave and that guy's hitting on her and he's like, she's like oh, I'm sorry I only like girls I don't know you won't understand this and he's like no I'm cool with that I mean it's a bit restrictive but I'm cool with that <laughs> I thought well, that was <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the most pleasing things in the entire series um, the, the breadth of um, representation no thanks to Mark Gatiss though because Mark Gates for Empress of Mars, and it does have, and I like with the Victorian soldiers, there was a hierarchy, not just yeah. in terms of class, but mm-hmm. in terms of race, where the upper class guys are at the top, the working class guys are at the bottom, and the black guys are actually right at the bottom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which makes sense. But Gates didn't want that. He actually had almost an email protest saying he was uneasy about, um, I don't know the black actor's name, but being cast, because he said there were no black soldiers in Victorian's army. And what? <laughs> Yep, and he, I know, I know. He said, he said, you know what, you know what because... else Victoria's army wasn't on fucking yeah. Mars. <laughs> and he, I think he also said he's down to the BBC trying to become more representational in quotation marks. <sighs> and like someone he had to email him saying, "Look, 
there were black look here's a black soldier documented footage you know document every real life evidence of black soldier in queen victoria's army can you stop bothering us about this now mm. so that's another thing by the way when you're showrunner you have to deal with nonsense like that um mm. well, look, but again like you said yes queen victoria's army also didn't go to mars um, <laughs> i mean yeah, and, like remember obviously you know how vincent van gogh scottish like he was in the episode yeah yeah i mean remember, to actually come back to specifics in the actual series itself um because i really watched stuff in the pilot one thing i noticed because obviously bill gets called into the doctor's office mm-hmm. and she just thinks it's a lecturer um that the doctor says that because Bill's like, why am I in here? And says in my lectures, um, when you don't understand something, you smile instead of frowning. Um, and at least how I interpreted that, he doesn't go into any more detail, but it's almost like that's why Bill stands out to him because she seems to enjoy almost the pleasure of learning something new. No, she doesn't know everything when normally people don't like being seen to be somewhat foolish or being seen to not know something. Mm. Um, hence why everyone else frowns while Bill actually, Bill actually smiles. And you do wonder, because Bill alludes that someone said you've been a lecturer 70 years. How many times has the Doctor had this meeting with someone? Yeah. Where he's mm. basically just saying, mm, could I go travelling with them? Yeah, I mean, you've definitely seen much more. It's something that they definitely brought in, I think, ostensibly when, when Martha joined the Doctor, that he is this idea of what the army in this country calls a bottle test to see, um, you know, what you're made of, essentially, is they'll make you do something terrif- like something to shit your pants. Like, I read a book about a, a Royal Marines commando and something they had them do was jump over a bloody yawning chasm off a cliff from one side to the other <laughs> to see if they would do it. And, um, you know, not far, but pretty far down. And, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't want to not land it. So yeah, basically it was, no uh, margin. And if you get it wrong, <laughs> you ain't done. getting anything else so, right afterwards. Exactly. So it was a case of um, it's it sort of like that thing that, you know, the the best of the best of the best sir, sort of thing. Um, mm. It's it, it's something that they've sort of used as a plot, uh, sort of minor plot point over the definitely since series three when like that quite a funny, you know, the quite funny scene where the doctor rejects one of the, the, the uh, junior doctors out of hand as, you know, a pain in the ass and goes off with Martha instead. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, there's it's something about these people, and it's something that I know that some old school fans, again, all the people who don't like feels in their Doctor Who, just sort of don't like this idea that the companion is a special person, that say, or you know, a one in a thousand, a one in ten thousand sort of person. I, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not an old school fan, but I actually like that. They don't have to be special like Clara was. Yeah, they don't. Um, no, yeah. Not, not, That's the extreme be, end. They don't have to be supernatural mystical in any way, mm. but special in terms of, yes, because I, not everyone should be able to travel with a doctor. Yeah. Mm. Not, I mean, to do the things that you have to do to be a companion, not everyone can do that. And I, I um, and they can be relatable in a very easy way, like I think Donna definitely was, and I think Bill is, and mm. um, Rose was. But they do, there does have to be something not necessarily exceptional, but unique about them, because yeah. other, because it takes away from the from what these people end up going on to do. Um, if literally anyone could do it, it's the same with any kind of high achievement in any mm-hmm. area of life. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can do that. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's something they kind of backfilled in about the old companions. It's in the old Sarah Jane uh, adventures, they kind of 
backfilled in a bit that the people who were companions went to on to sort of great and good things sort of across the board. But in the actual classic series, I mean, I don't know if Mike sort of feels the same way as me, but mm. quite a lot of the time there were people who just showed up or happened yeah. to be there when the Doctors didn't have anyone else to knock about with. I was going to say, I mean, because a lot of people like complain about like the, the sort of quote-unquote selection process that modern companions go through. But when you think of like companions like Tegan from the 80s, who has just ended up like traveling with the Doctor, and she never really properly enjoyed it. 90% of the time she wanted to leave. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense that, <laughs> like, in the modern series, the writers, like, the showrunners have to, like, bring in the sense of the Doctor's looking for somebody he wants to travel with. Because they've, like, watched, like, old, like, especially especially in the 80s, I think. I mean, you could probably also have, like, a bit of it, maybe see, like, in the early 60s with um, Ian and Barbara. But in that instance, they were effectively kidnapped by the Doctor. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, but I mean, you've got like, companions like like Teague and you've got companions like Perry, who again, she spent a lot of her time uh, wanting arguing, to go home. Yeah, arguing with the Sixth Doctor. So you know, if if you've got that sort of conflict, it, it, like we've said it plenty on the podcast, it's like, why are you still there? Yeah, I mean, if you, I say we talk about talks about Tegan. So if we talk about the Fifth Doctor's three companions, so we talk mm-hmm. about Tegan, Nissa, and Adric. Yeah. So Adric's Adric is there because he won't go away. He's just sort of like he's, a bad smell. For some reason, he's just there all the time. He's a stowaway. He's a stowaway. Mm-hmm. Nissa's there because her planet blew up. Yeah. And Tegan's there because she wandered into the TARDIS thinking it was an actual police box. And the Doctor's such a knobber with the steering the TARDIS, he can't get her back to the airport, which is where he really wants to go. She's an air hostess. So, yeah, all three of these people just sort of were there because they showed up one day. Um, <laughs> they sort of tried to, to if you look at, so if, if you take the Amy idea mm-hmm. if you sort of go, if you dig into her idea a bit, she's really there because the Doctor ruined her. Yeah. As a child. So they've tried to... She's not there because she wants to. It's kind of because she has to be because travelling with a companion... Travelling with a doctor justifies everything she's ever said Mm -hmm. from the minute she met him as as like an eight-year-old. So they've tried... But again, they kind of didn't drive that point home enough, I Mm. think, that they... You know, Amy is there because the doctor fucked her up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but apart from that, yeah, it's. It, I I think that the trope, the, the way the modern television is, you have to give that justification of this person has got something about them that means that they can, they are emotionally, mentally equipped to, to do this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you can't, like I say, you can't just have people showing up anymore. Telly just don't work like that anymore. Yeah. And I, I think for the better, there's one uh, th- um, thing I noticed in terms of this actually links slightly back to Jodie Whittaker of will her time lord still be a time lord? Um, in Extremis, um, which is where the episode starts when the Doctor's been taken to give the execution, the way it's written, it's almost as if we think the Doctor's the one being executed, yeah. mm-hmm. and the um, guy I forget the group of people, you know, um, you know the coalition of death or whatever they're called. Um, he says. <laughs> He says, the guy says, um, the destruction of a Time Lord is a particular honor. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking the person that's been referred to as a Doctor, and then you realize they're referring to Missy. Um, so, again, again, this is maybe, you know, Moffat putting Chibnall into a boxing him into a corner. 
of saying that yes we can call a woman time lord is still a time lord um mm. that yeah. is also addressed in um not the finale the penultimate episode which i've forgotten the name of now world enough in time is, yes world enough in time thank you um where um the, they talk about um doctor's talking about his relationship with the master down the years and you know like first man crush i think he was a man then i'm not sure and so and then bill's like so you can be men or women and doctor's like we don't have your ridiculous concepts of gender stereotypes and then bill goes but you call each other time lord doctor like shut up um, <laughs> so i am not sure we'll get addressed um in addressing series 11 um but yeah but definitely the options there if people are gonna like oh, you can't call her a time lord she's a woman it's like well in canon you know in mm. canon in kayfabe if you like yeah it can happen well, I mean, to be honest as well, the problem is with the whole problem, the thing with the Time Lord, it's incredibly wishy-washy as to what makes you a Time Lord. Mm. In the old series, and, well, much more in the Into, into Who years, the books the, that came out, which are no longer considered canonical, um, but sort of were at the time, in that they sort of more went to the idea that time being a Time Lord is biological. Mm-hmm. Essentially, there is, Gallif- there is Gallifrey, 95% of everyone is just people, right? Like humans. But then the aristocracy are born in a certain way. Their biology makes them Time Lords. You're born, you know, you're born that way, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, or not even born like we would understand. In one of the books, it... In, it says that time lords are loomed, uh, mm-hmm. like woven, essentially. That they're not, they just sort of, they're made in like a computer and then appear, essentially. Yeah. But we've sort of let that, that idea has kind of gone in the garbage. But now they sort of gone to the idea that they are an aristocracy like the British aristocracy, in that you are, you, you're born in a certain family and then you go through school and rituals and things like that. And that makes you a time lord. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, the academy. Yes, the, the, the Time Lord Academy, the Pridorian chapter, all of that stuff. So, But because the series won't put a marker down and say you are a biologically a Time Lord and that's it, or you are, a ti- you, you are a Time Lord by title, you can fuck it off, you can, you know, you can, like the Master does essentially, you can just say, I bollocks, I'm not doing it, and leave, and all this sort of thing. Um, but you still have that title and your family and your, you know, your great prestigious bloodline all this sort of thing like say like our like our sort of king queen and all our blue bloods Mm. in this country Mm -hmm. so but because the series won't say either way what exactly makes you a time lord you know gender because they say and because the doctor says that the the time lords essentially don't you know the idea of gender on gallifrey is not important then you're a time lord regardless of what's in your pants it's it's your lineage essentially mm-hmm. that makes you a time lord and your education and going through like say the looking into the untempered schism and all that bollocks that they've done <laughs> it does bear, bear the question um which is a probably a question for another time of is it just only time lords that can regenerate or can anyone in gallifrey regenerate? well because well, if, if you look at the Doctor Falls, uh, no, not the Doctor Falls, the uh, the fifth anniversary, yeah. where the Daleks are on Gallifrey and exterminating, exterminating people left and right, you don't see them regenerate. Yeah. Mm. So then, they're not Time Lords. Plus, also, you've got um, the origins of River Song, who was conceived yeah. when, you know, Amy and Rory were on board, on board the TARDIS, presumably in flight through the Time Vortex. So I think it's yeah. exposure to the Time Vortex that has at least some part in altering um, the biology of Gallifreyans 
so they have the ability to regenerate. I don't know whether about whether they still have a binary um, cardiovascular system or not. Whether that's just part well, of it's, their... Im- it's implied that the first Doctor gets his second heart upon his first regeneration, isn't it? That's a popular fan theory that I've read in in certain different right. quarters. That the the first Doctor has a heart, and then upon your first regeneration, you get the second one. Hmm. But I mean, that's not confirmed anywhere. No. Uh, um, one I want to do a brief mention to. Um, and it just done quite well in Dark Water is I did like, because I wasn't sure how I'd received them, but the initial depiction, at least the Mandassian Cybermen in yeah. World Enough and Time. And this is this was part of the problem because with World Enough and Time and uh, Dr. Falls, because I really liked the focus on the body horror that is inherent in the conversion. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it wasn't just a... If you, I mean, I, I know you've mentioned spare parts, Emma, but definitely for modern viewers... Um, mm and modern tv viewers it shows that it's not just a clinical or maybe slightly invasive procedure it's also a brutal one mm-hmm. this yeah. isn't this isn't you get put you get put to sleep and you wake up a cyberman no. Um, no it's not it's it's suffering it's torture yeah um to then to then live out a life yeah to live out a life Cyberman. and i wish there'd been more of that but again because you're dialing in the master and you're dialing in the cyberman and build storyline and yeah. you know, the whole um, thing about time slowing down depending on what end of the ship you are by the black hole um, mm-hmm. too much Just too, you don't need too much when you think of some of the best stories in Doctor Who you think Blink, you think Dalek, they're very very simple one mm-hmm. strong premise and you just focus 45 minutes around that premise yeah it's a, it's a shame because I think we, we said it ourselves um, during the Doctor Falls, we wish like the whole the Master and Missy stuff would have been great but separate yeah, it like, belongs in another episode. Yeah, it belongs in the storyline. Yeah, it deserves its own story, really. And, you know, save the Cybermen stuff. And that's one thing I really like about uh, World of a Time and Doctor Falls is the fact that the inhibitors that the Cybermen have, like the, the headgear, actually like stops you caring about the pain. That was a much more yeah. interesting concept, I thought, than the fact that they removed their emotions. Because, like I said, I mean, if you've watched, like... 80s Doctor Who, when you have the Cybermen on, you've got David Banks, who is, you know, not exactly... He's not like, you know, Mr. Spock levels of sort of playing it straight. He's very sort of... No. Emotional. <laughs> yeah. And stroppy. And stroppy. And, um, you know, uh, very sort of effusive and things like that. Excellent and all this sort of stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's... I think they'll say it just comes once again, it just comes back to my fundamental problem with series 10. Uh, 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 you know, a, a collection of, of very enjoyable episodes in isolation, mm-hmm. but just doesn't hang together as a series. Even, I mean, they'll say it's fine to not have an overarching story. You can do it. Yeah. Or it doesn't have to be very in your face. I mean, like say a lot of the problem with the latter Matt Smith, it was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, they set it up in such a way that you expect that there's going to be a thread going through. And I just don't think they, they committed to one enough to, to make it ultimately satisfying. Yeah. The things they gave us threads and then often didn't yeah. follow through. And that was the problem. I mean, another distraction, um, which I mentioned in one of the emails I sent to you. And I think that really harmed this series was just the current um, political moment we're in, because mm. there's a lot of allusions, sometimes outright references to kind of the rise of the far right, point of a better phrase. Like, mm. I think a lot of that is what the monks trilogy is about. Um, yeah. it's, it's just about it's almost modelled on the real life anxiety about the world maybe coming to an end. Um, 
and um, the monks kind of being a reference for a far-right authoritarian leaders. I mean, even that great monologue the Doctor does in mm-hmm. The Doctor Falls, if, I mean, because I, I watched it back again yesterday, and he says, this isn't about winning or hating someone or blaming someone. Um, and I think that was probably inspired, because particularly when you realise how clo- relatively closely these episodes are written to air date, mm-hmm. and there's not a massive gap. Um, so I think they were so almost in, slightly preoccupied a bit by all that and I don't mind again what I said in the email to you if you're going to do um, something that is a fictional analogue for real life politics then that's fine but mm-hmm. you have to go the whole way and you've yeah. got to be mm-hmm. detailed and you can't you can't just drop in a couple of things like there we go look everyone we're, look everyone satire mm-hmm. that's not how it works you, you have to do it fully or it um, it doesn't it doesn't stick because it doesn't resonate um, because and this is what like what Emma's saying about threads you kind of started and then you stopped and there was, yeah. with so many stories, there was too much of starting and stopping, or too much of, we're beginning to get up to something, but we're now out of time in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, to move on to the next adventure. I'll, I'll say that I think that my favourite episode of Series 10 was Extremis. And it, it sort of, that's what made Pyramid End of the World and Neither Land kind of sort of doubly disappointing for me in that mm. Extremis was extremely good for, you know, for me, you have real consequences of the Doctor's blindness still that they didn't just hand wave. They kept that going, which I thought was really brave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got to give them credit for that because it would have been so easy just to fix him at the end of Oxygen and then well, that's they did. it. That never the, that was the about. initial plan. Yeah. yeah, and you know, so you know that that great reveal, that great line at the end of Oxygen of you know I'm still blind, which is you know is still is brilliant. And then having him kind of try to deal with it and conceal it from Bill and all that sort of emotional stuff in there, mm-hmm. that's all great. And then, but because we know it's a three party, you're waiting for. Waiting for the, the other monks to drop. pay that off. Yeah, exactly, you're waiting for the monks to pay that off in some way. Mm. Um, all the promise of extremists, and they don't. Yeah, I mean that's one thing. Like, to, you know, not to completely criticise Moffat, give him credit for that. That was totally his idea, because yeah. Matheson had written that his blindness, the thing that we think cures his blindness, the fact that he can't see, does. Um, and that was Moffat who decided to take it a different, um, a different direction. I mean, like another problem with the monks, such terrible villains. You could barely hear them, understand the word they're saying. I had to put the subtitles on when they were talking. Mm. Because it's it's not only don't they enunciate, but they're really quiet when they speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only don't they announce they're really quiet when they speak, their plan is shit. And I don't yeah. understand. I still, to this day, do not understand what the consent thing is. <sighs> yeah, I, that I was. Think, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think I said this. Well, I, 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 this is part of not thinking it through properly. I think it's the whole thing about Trump was voted in. Erdogan was more or less voted in. Um, you know, t- Theresa May kind of voted in. Um, t- 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 <laughs> <laughs> to entertain the Netherlands, um, like Kabila in the Congo, mm-hmm. officially at least, they were given consent to rule. Um, that's what I think it is, because it's it's a, it was a weird thing to tack on. It's almost like it was stitched on, um, stitched on as a way to, as a way to again comment. But like uh, that whole thing of consent, that's an episode. Mm-hmm. That's a premise you stretch out into an entire episode, almost a bottle episode, I think. But yeah, they never again followed properly through on it. And even in the pyramid, the end of the world, you have like the Russia, U.S. and Chinese armies who decided to team up after like three sentences. Yeah, and yeah. I, see, I, see no, I see no distrust. <laughs> I see no suspicion between them. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, well, we're friends now. <laughs> after, well, um, after a couple, 
really. Yeah. Um. And it, and the build-up isn't paid off to it either because you have those three armies sitting in the fake country that they make up for this, mm-hmm. and but you could so easily have built that up a bit in the preceding episodes by having like Bill watch the news and they're talking yeah. about it. So yeah. you get an idea that we're kind of getting towards this thing that the monks have sensed vulnerability in the earth at this point, because there is this big thing that might kick off any minute. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's something you know, that Chris and Davis would have done. That's something RTD yeah. would have done because it was great at dropping breadcrumbs mm. leading up. To yeah. Something. Yeah. To be fair to him, it was. Um, also, the one thing that kind of annoyed me is Bill's end of her act was basically the same as Clara. You killed her, but didn't kill her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We 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 say we we talked about this, didn't we? Yeah. Mike? yeah. That yeah. is. I mean, yeah. That is. Well, but the thing is, we thought it was the end, and then I mean, I don't think we're spoiling anything, but we're seeing the trailer for the Christmas special. She yeah. is making some kind of appearance in some form, so it's not the very last we've seen of her. I assumed at the time it was a case of. Moffat giving Chibnall a chance to keep her, but if he didn't want to keep her, at the yeah. very least gave her a happy. Ending, I was I was okay with that, particularly because this is something that um Karen from Starbase sixty six speaks. I kind of learned from listening to her. She talks about a lot. Often, um, for the want of a better phrase, I just say queer relationships they don't end up end up all right. Someone Ooh, always yeah. dies normally, or something's mm. taken away. They don't end up just they just they can't Happy end up. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So so often that it's, it's something that I know infuriates her. So I thought, oh, well, that's at the very least, you know, they, they kind of, she has some kind of a happy ending. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, well, I guess we're not seeing her back. But now that we are going to see her back in at Christmas, I'm like, well, don't take that happy ending away if, if she's not being kept on. It's fine if, she, if we're going to see her next year. If we're not seeing her next year, just leave her as, leave, just leave her as she was. Mm-hmm. Let, let, her, let, her have a, let her have some kind of happy ending. In, in an episode that leading up to that two part, she was just going through unimaginable anguish and pain, yeah. fighting against being a Cyberman. But like Mike, you, you pointed this out, Mike yourself. Mm. Um, the, and this is what happens, by the way, when we talk about quote unquote diverse casting. It gives you an opportunity to um, add extra dimensions mm-hmm. in the connotation of your story that you may not have intended. So you have the thing that Mike, you said bill as a cyberman and immediately someone tries to shoot her yeah um even though she's basically a, a black person and she has that thing where she can't be angry mm-hmm. she has the moment that everyone's always going to be terrified of me even though there's, yeah she hasn't done anything um which i don't think moffat was aware of this when he was writing it but it but particularly i'm sure for black women watching this and i know it's still watching it that that's really good social commentary right there mm-hmm. and it's and it adds it adds an extra um extra anguish and resonance to that storyline yeah. because it's not just a person it's specifically in the embodied in a black woman yeah. which gives it something that's what happens when it happens when you sometimes just cast outside the same narrow alcove mm-hmm. um of like white cishet manhood it means you can yeah. actually do extra things yeah storytelling i i i have a sense that moffat knew what he was doing there because if you notice when um john sims master is talking to the doctor and Bill as the Cyberman, you know, he oh, never uses a gendered pronoun. He always calls her it. Yeah, he does, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, part of that... Yeah, you might be yeah. right. You might be right. Um, but I, I, I think it was... They would, yeah. they would have said to a black person they dumped him in a human zoo or something. Yeah, you mm-hmm. might be right about that. Yeah, I mean, it's easy enough to sort of like, just like, maybe just like, think, oh, well, you know, it's just the master being a dickhead. But, you know, when you've got... 
you know, Pearl Mackey, you know, a black woman, you know, playing this part, it just brings it just brings up that much more. Do you know what I mean? It's, like it's the kind it, of thing where you don't have to notice it. Yeah. But it gives the opportunity to notice something extra. Yeah. It could like the whole thing. It, she wasn't allowed to get angry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could he could have easily just done the same had like the companion been like a white woman or something, but because of Pearl Mackey's ethnicity, mm. it makes it that much more sort of cutting and sort of like, oh, you piece of shit, you know? It, it does. It adds something extra to the storyline, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take away from the story. It doesn't derail no. the plot there on. The plot remains the same. Yeah. And if you don't notice it, fine. It's not really a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it does give you something extra if you're keeping your eye out for it. I mean, that's, and that's one thing you get when you cast outside here. Mm-hmm. Uh, white cis manhood it gives you an opportunity to explore these things even if you didn't intend to or not like even smile yeah. I know it wasn't just women who had this but the idea of women having to smile or they were going to be killed mm-hmm. um, and oh, yeah. I've read your horror stories of like women getting street harassed being told to smile they don't and they and I, I know someone a friend of mine who was being harassed and the mm-hmm. guy followed her into a Starbucks basically threatened to knock her out in the middle of the Starbucks which oh. he just asked to be left alone Jesus. I mean that's an extreme example mm-hmm obviously of a, of a story but and i don't think that was the intention when smile was written but it does no. give you an opportunity to uh to to take other aspects of real world real world shit and put it mm. um in your fictional storytelling i mean and another thing that annoyed me about um again these aren't mass these when i say annoying i don't mean this meant the story was shit or the episode was shit but yeah. it just took away from it a little bit was they cast sam spyro in the doctor falls who I saw, because she shows up very early, I'm like, oh, awesome, Sam Spire, she's great, she's always great in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the one that has the crush on Nardole. Yeah. And it was just like, well, she barely did anything. I mean, that whole storyline of that solar farm, they didn't really invest to go deep into that, they were just people with guns. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, if you're going to cast someone like Sam Spiro, who's not famous, but is recognisable, and you're going to have her do so little, why just cast an unknown? Yeah. They'll be cheaper. It'll look good for their resume, by the way, being mm-hmm. Doctor Who. And you're not asking them to do much, so the margin for error is huge anyway. So even if they're shit, you're probably even going to notice. It was just what a waste of a really, really good actor. Mm-hmm. That annoyed me. And even with the two Masters storyline, in and of itself is a perfectly acceptable storyline, but you put John Sim next to Michelle Gomez as the mm-hmm. same character, and it's like, it's almost like, I have this iPhone, but instead I'll use this Nokia 3210. <laughs> 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 in every single way. And it almost magnified it that, yeah, John, John Sim, you're just not even a Michelle Gomez league. Mm. I understand the storyline, why it happened, and the ending, why they ended, I thought was actually very fitting for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's not the last we'll see in a master, but oh. it was just like, uh, oh, really? I like. You, you just don't like she's acting you off the screen you don't belong you don't belong in the same uh in the same television space as her <laughs> it reminds me of actually the first like one of the first times i went back and rewatched the x-files in entirety rather mm-hmm. than like every episode and like Gillian anderson just crushing david duchovny every right. fucking scene <laughs> left and right all the way through it's still happening now the late, latest series she just wrecks him every fucking time <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, she, um, she's a actor uh, exactly. I mean, mm. but um, anyway, I think talking about acting, we've been 
basically bagging on this series for a solid hour and a half. Shall we talk about really what we like? I mean, I will say that I, I, in watching them week to week, I enjoyed the episode, most about 90% of the episodes very much. But the thing that really stood out for me, series 10, above everything else, was the quality of the acting yeah. and how committed everybody was all the guest stars too like the big name guest stars like david Suchet. yeah he didn't have to be in this and he just came and he brought it and crushed this the you know in knock knock i thought he was brilliant mm-hmm. but i mean peter capaldi i mean like you say i think it's probably down to pearl mackie and um oh what's his matt lucas, matt lucas yeah matt lucas is also very good was is who's absolutely surprised me i mean mm-hmm. you know i was i was trying not to be skeptical i was like i know he can he can do these things but us being of a certain age he's george doors to us he's a big man in a baby grow <laughs> singing songs about baked potatoes but you know it's it's um they just i think just that those three and the quality of the guest stars and how good the guest stars were in all the episodes i thought that it, they 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 stepped up a level. Everybody did, and uh, I think yeah. it showed. I mean, I will. Yeah, Matt Lucas. I'm gonna have to give a lot of credit to because I, I was not yeah. particularly enthused by his inclusion at all. Mm. So I've never been the biggest fan of the guy, and I, I thought as well that he would be the worst type of casting where he's a big enough name that I thought they may focus too much on him. Um, yeah, and too much on him as we need a joke here. We need a joke here. And he is—he does provide comedy relief, and he's actually quite good at it. But he does have to act, and he every time he has to act, he delivers. I mean, oh. I my opinion on him has increased. My estimation of Matt Lucas has increased after watching him in this. Because yeah. yeah. I'm never a biggest fan of him. I thought he was really, really good in this. Like I was slightly, even though I think it's the right thing for his character to move on, I was slightly sad to see his character go. Because mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I enjoyed him. And to talk about the, I mean, the chemistry not just between the. Pearl Mackie and Peter Capaldi, but between the three of them, yeah, um, it was a really good trio where they all bounced off each other really well, and the they really got it right with Nardole. They gave him just enough inclusion, but not so much that he yeah. took away, that he subsumed the plot and subsumed scenes that Capaldi had and Pearl Mackie had. He was always in it just the right amount, and that's a very yeah. difficult balance. That's a very difficult balance to get right from mm-hmm. a writing perspective. So one thing the writers did very well and they deserve credit for as well as um, the acting was the right amount they, of inclusion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think that that right amount of inclusion, they actually solved a problem that Doctor Who has been trying to solve for 54 years. The character that knows as much as the Doctor knows, mm-hmm. they have never, ever got that right. And I think they might have nailed it this time because they have a tremendous problem with, you know they've tried to have companions who are trying to be on the doctor's level mm-hmm. and they've never really worked quite worked out Liz Shaw being the the biggest example of this yeah. um so that's why they tend they used to tend you know the idea was that the doctor has to be almost an empty vessel that just asks questions to be filled by the doctor's knowledge so to have Nardole who in some ways knows more than the doctor does about some things mm-hmm. and to play that balance between the two of them that, you know, sometimes the doctor's sort of taking charge of this and sometimes Nardole just comes in with a little comment and we sort of bounce off each other that way. And then we have Nardole's relationship with Bill where sometimes Nardole's being sort of the doctor substitute, but not doctorish, mm-hmm. like a different take on someone who's been around the block a long time and no, you know, who's been in space and time and all these sort of things. So they finally nailed it. Yeah. 
I'd say Nardole's probably like the bridge between like the Doctor Companion relationship. So yeah, like, yeah you've got like you say Nardole's like pretty savvy in all things, but one thing that always springs to mind is an extremist when he and Bill are investigating outside. They're in like the projection room, and he's sort of he's like thinking things through so he's not like it's not like the doctor's like waltzing in going oh it's such and such a piece of technology from this planet he's actually thinking it through but also putting it on a level that would explain it to bill and the audience so like yeah. he, he likens it to the holodeck um so he's, he's still like thinking the, the process through as well um so yeah like i said he's he's a good like go between so you don't have like the companions like liz shaw who like trying to be like the doctor's equal all of them is even like clara who's trying to like emulate the doctor but yeah at the same time you know you don't have the companion constantly going oh what is it doctor doctor what is it yeah and also he, he did get the doctor that packet of chris from birmingham in the end it, it, yes indeed. <laughs> indeed i mean i did i like i mean that's the thing they couldn't like flesh out most of their storylines but they paid off that joke <laughs> yeah um and i mean Again, you know, Matt Lucas has been a real, like, surprise. Because, I mean, we, we all watched him in, in um, Husbands of River Song. And it's, oh, you know, he's the, he's the comedy sort of bumbling sidekick and all that. And then when he got to Return of Dr. Mysterio, he had a bit more later. I mean, that, that sort of, like, thing he says to uh, Grant Lucy at the end, where he talks about the Doctor's relationship with the River. You know, they were happy for a while and then it ended. And he says, you know... The, the doctor's you know going to be very sad for a while but in the end he'll be all right that was kind of like what i was hoping for but matt lucas and i think and the writing as well sort of brought that but a lot more i mean especially the the standout to me is still the ending of uh, oxygen where yeah. nodal absolutely bollocks the doctor about but it's not like sort of it's not just anger, it's anger born of worry you know like this could have been it's really like parent. yeah yeah exactly parent where it's like we were, we were, you were meant to be home three hours ago. You weren't answering your phone. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Well, not even that. It's like they say, like when like a like a child sort of like acting around, like you've got something like cooking on the stove on the oven. You know, it's boiling water, and the, like the child reaches for it, and the parent goes, "No, no, 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 no," and like yeah. tells them off because. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've told you before not to touch that when it's hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's that sort of level, and um, yeah, he's he's been really great, and I think it's kind of a shame he sort of not always got the ending that he did because like we say although you know the Cyberman threat has been stopped for now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's over and well, it's, stated, it's, it's actually stated because i mean i watched the episode yesterday so it's fresh in my mind it's stated that it's not mm. so the fight isn't over and i mean why it probably does fit though is that nardo even though he's you know most of us seem to like him he's not human no he ultimately is kind of a synth for one of them, maybe at best a synthetic mm-hmm. thing. He's um, definitely a cyborg. So, yes, yeah, a, a cyborg. So even though there is some degree of emotions there, it's not it's it's not the same as um, uh, you know as human emotion. And almost to an extent, this is kind of it's, it's to to an extent made for this. Like it's not it's not dumping a human there who's going to do their best and get slaughtered in ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Like these this these um, the solar farm farming community have a chance as long as Nardole's there, which is why the Doctor sent Nardole there, because he knows Nardole might be able to save him. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though, yeah, because we like him so much, it's like the thought of him, you know, being 
fried by Cybermen isn't a fitting end, given that we enjoyed, like we enjoyed watching them so much. Mm. So, just trying to think if there's anything else we want, anything we've missed out, anything we'd like to, anything that's come up that hasn't come up yet, you'd like to. I had this um, throw in. Yeah, I had this one thought like a couple of weeks after Light of the Land, and it, again, this is like the sort of thing we usually do. I'm about so we sort of like rewrite stories. We rewrite it, yeah. 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 I always wondered, like, you know, we obviously we had like the dystopian world, like under the monks, but I always thought it might have been a bit more interesting, like if. Like the world under the monks had been a lot more utopian, and it might have brought up like a, an interesting like conflict for the doctor and the oh, yeah. team. Yeah, if it had been a lot more own... insidious. Yeah, or even for some, even it had been better for some people. Yeah, like if they cured cancer at the same yeah. time, yeah. or yeah. you know, um, you know, war is over because you have the the hegemony of the of the monks essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, or just like or like pulling it into a situation where like everybody's sort of like happy and things are prospering and you know human beings are like going far beyond like the level that the mentor at this like, as the doctor would know it, and then you've got like the dilemma of. Well, yes. What's what's happening is great, but yeah, they haven't got free will. So it's what's yeah the cost. It's the cost of are you willing to well, pay? There's, um, yeah, there's an episode of Star- That is mm-hmm. episode of Stargate, isn't there, where they uh, manage to travel through time and they yeah. team up and basically the aliens uh, invading Earth by uh, making everyone infertile, but giving their life, making their lives perfect and curing all disease. Mm-hmm. But yeah. humans can't have babies. <laughs> that is that is basically the plot of childhood childhood's end. Yeah. Um, not to spoil that too, but I mean that book's <laughs> like sixty years old, so. Um. Yeah, that would be more. I think yeah, I think you're right. It'd be more an interesting take. Like, some I mean, the of, thing about um, that is that that's really what Mike's proposing is actually much better. But that's really a t- let's be honest, the monks in, monks actually controlling humanity and Earth. That's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. But I don't want this storyline to be a four-part episode. <laughs> but that's really that's really a two-parter. But really, I mean, the problem is as well, um, whenever you get these, you know, these episodes where you have a dystopia, especially in Doctor Who, you're always going to suffer by comparison to turn left. Yeah. That's it. And turn left is the far superior version of this, (laughs) essentially. Um, Apart from obviously the the sliding doors concept of, you know, this thing or that thing. Um, But the the actual way that England ends up in turn left is photocopy of lie of the land that, that we see yeah. so mm-hmm. but i mean i remember watching the trailers for that and thinking that this was going to be essentially viva vendetta that the doctor was going to be the voice of the secret voice of the resistance mm-hmm. rather than the voice of the man so um i thought that was an interesting angle to that doctor it, it sort of ends up uh, you know ostensibly as far as we know but i mean because pyramid at the end the of the world takes up takes up a whole episode you need a, a whole episode of the doctor being a bastard essentially yeah, or to us a bastard you get the doctor's justification it's one of those like every good even though the doctor's not the villain he's playing almost the villain at that point yeah. the best villains in genre fiction are the ones that just have an element of truth or justification for what they do where you may not even agree with them but you're like well that's a fair point and when the doctor mm-hmm. makes his gives his reasoning which is obviously fake reasoning for why he does it it's like well he's not wrong yeah, no, that's like, right. Um, that normally makes that normally makes a villain so much better. But yeah, I mean that story. That's that really is like you said. I mean, you probably do need one of the Doctor seemingly, you know, done his heel turn before yeah. then switching back. But essentially, yeah, the problem right. is that's a two part. That is a two part. into the world should have been flashbacks. It shouldn't have been an episode in it, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It should have been 
you know, Lie of the Land and Pyramid End of the World are, are one episode where the Pyramid End of the World stuff constitutes flashbacks. And then we have a whole different episode of the resolution of that is episode nine or episode eight, I should say. So, um, yeah, fundamentally, I've, I mean, um, should we do, uh, let's do a quick fire round, right? Yeah. Okay. So everybody, right. You're right, so your, your favourite episode and your least favourite oh, episode, just let me bring them up. Bring, bring the list up. up. I did have them up a minute ago. but I mean, so for me, I would say that um, Extremis is my favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the concept. I like those high, like, you know, inverted commas, high concept episodes, you know, alternative dimensions, what's real, what isn't real. That's kind of, that's my wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. it's, I, I really enjoy the episode. Um, and for me, the weakest one was Lie the Land. So, Mike. Um, I think I have to like, agree with you. I'm saying extremist Lie of the Land. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, we had like a few episodes, like things like, um, Eats of Light and Empress of Mars, which were sort of like kind of by the numbers. But, yeah, fine. Yeah, they were fine. But compared to, like, like you say, the, the whole Monk trilogy was really sort of like kind of, I mean, extremist. Wishy-washy. Yeah. It was, it's kind of like what really dragged the series down for me. Um, yeah. And that's why, as like I said, when we um, sort of looked back over that little arc, it's like, in a way, if they, if they weren't going to, like, commit properly, I kind of wish, like, extremists had stood alone, and then you'd have, like, the monks to be picked up by, like, Chibnall, if he so wanted. But if not, then it's all right. You know, that mm. could have easily just been, like, an interesting standalone threat, sort of, like... Like, it's, it's, like it could be, like, hanging over the series of whether the monks actually go through with their pro- invasion proper or not. You know what it reminds me of? You remember we've all seen the next gen, Star Trek: Next Generation, end oh. of series one, the the aliens conspiracy, yes. and you never see them again. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they ended up being turned into the Borg, didn't they? That was that oh, was that's the, that's that's a bit of a fanish theory. I I yeah. thought I didn't think that was officially confirmed, no, but no, I've no. I've seen that as a fanish theory going around. Yeah, I think that's what the Borg were meant to be originally. Was, was supposed yeah. to be the return of the conspiracy. Yeah. I can still never get over the head exploding though. Just... Yeah, the chest bit, yeah, chest burst was... a bit. Yeah, I was like, "Holy shit!" I only saw the uncut version recently, and I was like, "Fuck me!" <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan. Uh, uh, what, what? You know what? I really like knock knock, but I'm a sucker for like haunted housey things. Um, it was a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Um. David Suchet, I thought, was creepy. mega in that episode. Yeah, it was yeah. Even, though we, even though we never see those friends again. No, no, no we don't. No. She was only friends with one of them, wasn't she? And yeah, she, yeah. 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 Like, just no mention of them ever. It's like, uh, that was a minute. Yeah, we I never liked... even saw her again either. Never, never saw like Bill's mate again. No. But then uh, no. I suppose... No. But yeah, you would. I've never seen you again. Uh, strange face. Um I do I do love Roman stuff and uh Cthulhu, so Eaters of Light was good. Uh, and it also had a bisexual guy putting down the monosexuals, which was fun. Uh, but yeah, I go with knock knock and the word yeah, the Lion Land is easily the worst episode. It just like had no payoff for two like it was read out a free episode thing and they had no payoff and it was dumb. Alright then, Shane. Um, thin ice. D- number one is okay. thin ice. Oxygen is a very close one A. Um, I mean, just for the speech, which is my favourite ever Doctor speech, is 
that the character's ever given. Um, mm. When he he doesn't just um, it's not just an anti-racist creed. It's an because the thing that people often forget that not just racism, um, sex, and whatever, all these things they're they're business models. Mm-hmm. They use for the powerful to get money and power. Um, and so he doesn't just criticize racism. Racism is bad. He he says the whole notion of placing industry over people and valuing that over the value you place on any life. Mm-hmm. It's and it's the moment I think when Bill is realized that the doctor is everything she hoped he would be and you realize that these two are kind of they're in now they're yeah. in, they're in this thing together yeah. uh, it does have great some places, uh, it's, the bit where she's asking him how many how many people yeah, how is many killed he, yeah, yeah, yeah. you killed how many have you killed that's that's a moment when Pearl Mackey really arrived where she yeah. she was good at the first two and then it's like yep she's she's the real deal they've they've hit a home run with this casting um it's my favorite episode in the series for probably about three years it's, it's i prefer it to any episode that's clara in it um, and it, it was it's beautiful it's brilliantly written it's like i read i watched it and i was like can we make sarah Dullard the new showrunner please um and she <laughs> should be in the conversation when chibnall leaves same for jamie matheson um like those two those two better be kept on mm. these these two better be around for series 11 um because yeah i'm big fans of both of their both of their work so oxygen is very close but Thin Ice, I thought, was a tremendous episode. And it just about, and it holds, like, it's not just a good premise that falls apart. Everything holds up at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it progresses the characters. It progresses the partnership between the Doctor and Bill. One thing as well about Capaldi's Doctor, that might be the first time early in the episode before they realise what's happening. The first time, because they're just going around the what the market, you know, um, get trying stuff out and whatever, just getting involved and mingling. That's the first time I think I've seen Capaldi's Doctor have any fun. <laughs> Um, and that's what I say most about not just Pearl Mackey being good for Peter Capaldi, but Bill being good for the Doctor. That's the first time I see the Doctor just enjoying himself. And this character is meant to enjoy, like, they do, the character does this because they enjoy it, because they like traveling through time and seeing different stuff and mm-hmm. the fun of discovery and finding something new, um, something they haven't done before. And the first time until, you know, he has to get serious because people are being kidnapped. Um, the uh, but, um, it, the doctors had fun. The only major, I naive emoji about this. The only negative thing was just how the the guy gets to inherit the thing because women are not allowed to own property, which is fine. And they just don't talk about that. They're like everyone just seems to shrug. Oh, all right, fine. <laughs> Welcome to being a woman, mate. It's just it's that's yeah. what it is. It's suck it up, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, it, you know, you say. I mean, I think that you're dead right about this. Sort of the only times you see Capaldi enjoying the the bit of being a doctor rather than the job bit of being a doctor being the doctor especially i mean like that brilliant bit where he goes and talks to the bloke who's running sort of the supervisor bloke and gets him to tell him everything (laughs) and you know that's so i love it it's so the doctor Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean yeah capaldi i feel like has really had the opportunity to do that Mm. yeah um it it just yeah it ticks so many boxes of what i want from the show i do ultimately not every episode but the Doctor is meant to be someone who... He's a character to heroes. He's meant to be someone who fights against injustice. And unlike something like Tennant's Doctor and the Shakespeare Code, you see where the show's definitely progressed. Um, where Tennant basically shrugs um, when... Um, uh, when... Um, fuck's sake, Free Magic was character Martha is having to deal with... Yeah. Having to deal with low-level racism. This Doctor punches someone in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Brilliant, you know, brilliantly. So, yeah, this was this and this episode for the series 
grabbed me was like, uh, okay, I, I feel like I can really relax and lean into this series now. And mm-hmm. yeah. That, yeah, tremendous episode. I mean, really great. Like one of the best episodes since the show's come back. It would be in my top ten, probably my top five. Um, and like, I, you know, it's a full house, the worst is lie of the land. And the main reason I think it's the worst is because it's the thing about its ceiling and its floor. Its ceiling was high, its floor was really low, mm-hmm. and it just stayed on the ground throughout. It hit the floor. Um, because, yeah, it made... There wasn't enough time to tell the story, mm-hmm. um, which is the main problem. There were certain scenes, things that could have gone, certain things that should have been in that weren't in. Um, the ending was a Deus Ex RTD. Yep, it really was. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you know old, that it reminds me of that joke. Liked, yeah, the, the only thing I liked at the end was just at the end when the monks, like, there's the statue that's kind of been largely knocked down, sliced mm-hmm. and like sliced into, and uh, Bill asks about what will happen now. And Doctor's like, nothing will happen. Doctor goes to some some person because you annoying here. Um, you know, <laughs> the statue. It's like I don't know. I see someone's filming something. Like no one remembers, mm-hmm. and and he just talks about yeah, humanity does that all the time. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, our impression of lie the land. <laughs> I hope John will appreciate this joke. You know, like that old thing about with Russian history that you can sum it up by, and then it got worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just feel like that's how we feel about lie the land. <laughs> Even though I did, just just to say the performance is like Paul Mackey's. That might have been Paul Mackey's best performance. Mm. Oh yeah, the confrontation scene. If you just isolate her performance, yeah, I was yeah was tremendous. Yeah, I mean, um, like, and, yeah, I mean, the bit, the bit where, like, the part where you just get so crushed by the doctors going, "Yeah, I'm in the league with monks," and it just like so, like, it's so raw from her. She was yeah. absolutely spot on in it. And she has, and she has a very, very. She just has a great face for that, mm-hmm. where she can't hide what she's thinking, and when um. You know, whatever um, it is she wants to emote, mm-hmm. it's she can emote, not. It's not that's easy for her, but it it, commu- it comes across very easily. Yeah, it's them eyes, mate. That's what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She just has those features that lend very well to, and also like her background in theatre. So obviously that's that style mm-hmm. of acting is a little bit more um, overt and bombastic because you're shouting you're in the evening. Person. Exactly, you're acting yep. for the person in the back row. But she does have just a, a really, really good face for TV. And I, I would imagine even more so for cinema. Mm. Um, when she just has to emote, she can flick that switch very easily and it connects very easily. Yeah. Um, you know, just put a close up of her and just say, you're really upset now and let her do the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, actors, well, the actors did their best with, <laughs> with very little. Um, but yeah, that was... And it, when I talk about the ceiling and the floor, it's it's relative to the expectations we had for it. And mm-hmm. also, not just the expectations, but what it needed to be. That needed to be something really strong to make that whole Monks trilogy worthwhile. And it was, wasn't even close, where something like The Eaters of Light, which uh, didn't really grab me, but the expectations and what was required from it wasn't mm-hmm. as... Um, it didn't need to do as much yeah. to be even mildly entertaining. This had to be... This had to... They, you really had to go strong with it. Um and yeah, they it was a total swing and a miss. Okay, fellas, um, shall we start summing up? Um, so we, should we go around the table again, or the the, the virtual table again? <laughs> and uh, do you want to just sort of have a little, just a little sort of sum up of your feelings of series ten? So for me, I feel that 
I think I've said this a couple of times already, but for me, it still stands that it was a series of individually brilliant parts, mostly from the acting side of it and the effects side of it, I think is probably understated in the costuming side. I mean, from a just sort of the whole overall um, it, brilliant individual parts that didn't hang together as a series. And unfortunately, it's when we I think looking back on it, it's going to be a story of missed opportunities as much as it is of individual pieces of brilliance. Mm. So, uh, Mike, what about you? Um, I agree. Yes. I mean, it's, it's strange because I was listening back over like uh, our episodes of the shows and, you know, Lie the Land and Pyramid at the End of the World aside, on the whole, we really like enjoyed the episodes. But like you say, it just doesn't like congeal into a, a great whole like um I, I remember series nine a lot more fondly because it hangs together much better um, yeah. as, 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 as like an ensemble piece rather than series 10, which is very sort of disjointed. And again, I think I think a lot of it has to do with sort of like, behind the scenes um, goings up, on. Up to, up, yeah. Yeah. Tur- because... I'm going to say turmoil. Turmoil is a bit strong, yeah. but I just think of like the events that were sort of beyond people's control. control. Upheaval. Upheaval, yeah, Yeah. I think so. And I think that, because this series, I feel like, obviously, we did that thing that we do. When it's not a particular episode we super enjoyed, we just talk about how, what else we would have done. But I feel like we, we, I mean, although we bitterly bitched about some of the episodes of Series Mm 8, and um, obviously some of the things in Series 9 didn't hit, and we liked other things, didn't like it, we never went that far in saying they should have done this, they should have done that. Yeah. And I feel like that's just sort of indicative of of sort of things that were going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think the real life sort of like, as much as you try and sort of keep things up, you always like say, like in like your workplace, like any sort of personal problems, like just try and leave it at home. But it's not that easy to do. Um, no. So, I mean, obviously, Stephen Moffat's mother passed away, which is incredibly sad and, you know, I feel for him. Um, but also there was the whole fact of, I think, like, I'd heard a story that they were trying to, like, find somebody to take over for Series 10, but they couldn't get anybody. Like, I, like Chibnall was still working on Broadchurch in that, I think, and nobody else was really, like, sort of stepping up. So Moffat yeah. had to stay on for, like, another year. And, you know... JNT syndrome then, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it's exactly what happened in the 80s, that they couldn't find anyone to... Mm-hmm. replace JNT or no one would take it on so he stayed on and stayed on and Instead. things got worse and worse yeah and, and you know that's that's not Moffat's fault because you know fair play to him he stuck around he could have either just gone no bollocks with you I'm off but yeah. he, you know he he made a commitment and you know he he, he did the, probably the best he could I suppose I mean like we say mm-hmm. there's there's always stuff that's like we've rewritten like on our, on our own heads Easily enough, but you know, again, I think sometimes circumstances just you can't control them, and yeah. you just got to make the best of what you've got. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still enjoy series ten, but I, on I, on the whole, I don't know like how much I'll actually go back and rewatch as much as I enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, John. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm with Shane opened this by saying that you remember series, you remember series based, mainly based on the characters involved in it, and I really liked Bill um, oh, for all the reasons yeah. that have already been mentioned. Okay, the the stories, the overall plot didn't hang together, or whatever he was going for didn't quite work, but I did quite like the um, payoff with Master and Missy at the end. Um, 
I I preferred it to season eight and nine. I I got bored of Clara and Clara's shenanigans. And I think Bill came in and, yeah, raised... The acting was really good, raised Peter Capaldi's Doctor up a level. Uh, he delivered some great speeches in this. He's always been very good at speeches anyway. Yeah. Um, and there's some good episodes. And apart from that misjudged three-part mini thing that they went for um, in the middle, I really liked it. And, yeah, just as a casual viewing, um, I think week on week it enter- entertained me. Okay, maybe in the whole wide scheme of things, it's not going to be up there with some of the other stuff, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, like I say, I mean, I, I I enjoy this, I think, more than than the two hosts. Um, and yeah, because yeah. because it's the interaction between the characters that I think. I mean, I'm always going to watch a show, but that keeps me engaged. Yeah, as much mm-hmm. as the plot and um, like Bill might. If she's not my favourite all-time companion, she's very close. Um, you know, she's in the top two. If she's not my favourite, um, she was tremendous. Um, I just think it was, unless Chibnall's got something really special up his sleeve, mm. why would you not? Assuming that Paul Mackie wants to stay on, why would you throw away something like that? Like Moffat wanted to keep Tennant. Moffat didn't want to get rid of Tennant. Um, yeah, because yeah. knew what Tennant brought to the shows, and why would I? Why would I discard that? Um, the same way, I just don't think it makes almost pragmatic sense to discard Paul Mackie unless you have something really really special lined up um she I mean she's an actor that I if she's not going to be on the show anymore I'm sure she'll get plenty of work in the future I you know I want to see her on my screen again mm-hmm. and stuff she's a credible talent she raised the overall enjoyment of the show and in terms of episodes like I can't imagine I did just for the purposes of researching this but I can't imagine I'll go back and watch any episodes that have Clara in it. I never really liked how they wrote her. Um, that's more a show of how she was written rather than Jenna Coleman herself. I don't think the character they wrote fit with the style of actor Jenna Coleman is where I think they did, they got it right with the mashup of actor and character with Pearl Mackey um, yeah. and Bill. I will go mm-hmm. thin ice and up, I think, are two outstanding episodes. Those are episodes. This is a series I can see myself at points maybe going back and watching bits of again. And it's the first time I can say that in two and a half years. So it's my overall thing is good, but not as good as it could have been. The ceiling mm-hmm. was high on this. It didn't really touch the ceiling. But it has been, for me, an improvement um, in all areas um, than what we got for the past um, like two and a bit years. And it's a standard. Like I'll be honest, if, this is, if Chibnall's, in terms of just sheer quality, if Chibnall's first series is as good as this, I, I'll accept that. Partly because mm. I'm very worried about him as, as showrunner. I will I will accept a, a series of this quality um, next time around. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm really I find myself I'm super I'm just hyped for see Jodie Whittaker, mm-hmm. just how she's gonna you know decide to interpret her Doctor and all that sort of thing. But I'm I'm sitting here and wondering how they're gonna. I'm really curious as to how Chibnall's gonna approach series 11 um you know there's no need to keep the old order you know there's mm. no need to keep the overarching storylines he doesn't want to do that he can throw all of it in the bin if he wants everything it, it, you know the established i mean because the series has been back for you know over you know, 12 years now sort of on and off Ooh, yeah. um <laughs> so it's built up a lot of tropes again mm-hmm. 
and you know this is how we do x y and z you know this episode goes here we have an historical one episode three we we do this uh, we have a two-parter at the end so chip has an opportunity to throw all that to the one side for now and do a completely different approach so i'm really intrigued as to how he's going to choose to do it is he going to say okay so the the, the female doctor is is the big step we wanted to make so we're gonna now make a quite traditional series 11 you know we're gonna have a big dialect story at the end and something mm. like that um or is he gonna really go radical and try and introduce you know the, you know the moffat i think for all of his you know we're, we're probably gonna do an episode about him uh once for the christmas episode's gone out yeah you know, he's got one thing he's done that no one else has really done is his great iconic monster, which is the Weeping Angels. I wonder if Chibnall's going to try and introduce something like that a real mm. sort of new, big, scary monster away from our sort of usual, our usual suspects. Um, so I'm really, I couldn't tell you where he's going to go. I mm. mean, because I, I felt like when we had, when Moffat was coming in, because we, seen and enjoyed his episodes i mean like obviously the big stand up in blink um mm. and people sort of but you knew that we were going to go into a, a fairly traditionalist idea that it's not going to there although the the what what moffat was really radical in doing is the way that he told the stories like the big overarching yeah. plots was the way that he broke out of the mold so i wonder what chibnall's going to do i'm really i couldn't tell you and that is great and you know a little bit scary but mostly great I mean, one thing yeah, that you're definitely right on is that, you know, whatever worries I have about Chibnall, he has to be allowed to do this series as he wants to do it. He can't be like, yeah. well, mm-hmm. I want to do it like this, but because Moffat and David did it like this, I'm going to have to follow, follow the, no, fuck that. This is, you're driving a car, so you yeah. drive a car where you want now. And look, this doesn't make you immune from criticism, and I will not be shy to criticise him if what he does isn't very good. Mm. But he, yeah, no, 100%, he cannot have in his head, I need to kind of do it like this because that's how it is no definitely not this is yeah. your show now you do it in terms of the vision that you you write the show that you want to write and you do it as well as you can and that's the only responsibility you have um or that's your key responsibility as the showrunner you definitely cannot do something because of external influences ultimately your responsibility is to write a good television program and you should be credited if you do and you'll be criticized if you don't and that is should be his only res- responsibility. Um, I mean, one thing to go back to your issues again with Moffat, what you said, Mike, about the rumor about Moffat actually looking already to leave. Maybe mm-hmm. that was part of the problem. I mean, that he already had one. He had, if not one foot out of the door, he had one eye towards the door looking to get out. Yeah. And after this job, I mean, it's true. Look, eventually, as the Doctor, and it's, it's, we've seen it with every Doctor that's left, every Doctor and every show on that, you get tired. This is an mm-hmm. all-consuming 24-7 job. There isn't an off season, even though there is. Officially, there is. But it's not really an off season. You're always having to do this job. This is this is this isn't just what you do. It's kind of who you are for a period of time. And mm-hmm. I don't care how much you love the show. Eventually, that does, that does wear you down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cause we talked about it. I mean, when Matt Smith was leaving, I mean, the, the, the burnout exhausted. rate is just incredible. Ex- I mean, he looks absolutely exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, Matt Smith mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's like, like I say, just the burnout level is is incredible uh, fundamentally, and I don't blame anyone for wanting to move on. But I think the uh, problem is as well. I mean, something that sort of went around when Jenna Louise Coleman um, 
suddenly said that she was coming back for series nine because mm. we. All... I want. I want the book or I want the documentary. I want 30, it too. 30 Documentary on what really happened. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, Moffat exactly. was entitled. Moffat been entitled. Been pissed. I would have been. Like I must have been. Yeah. Nah, tough. See you later. I've already got an idea of someone new. But the problem is, if you're, you know, if you're Stephen Moffat and you have to go into a meeting with the boss man's right, mm. and then say. You know, here's our established character, right? With someone that people generally like. I mean, not the. I mean, obviously. Well, no, Mm. but I mean, don't not not all us nerds take us out of it. Yeah. The the general idea is that you know she's cute, she's marketable, everyone knows her name or someone brando. Mm -hmm. You're gonna go with the the known quantity. Yeah, all the higher ups are. So Moffat's got to eat that big bowl of shit. You know, like oh, you know. But Nolte has to in the wire. You have to just here is the bowl of shit. Consume it. There is nothing more to do. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what yeah, that's, that's incredible auxiliary difficulties that come with this job. Um, yeah, I mean that I think is a slightly unique one. But yeah, Moffat has my sympathies when he had to yeah. deal with that. But yeah, I 100% agree with you. The the tell all book about JLC staying on beyond series eight i i like you say the 30 for 30 i want to see that because um, i can't believe there has a bigger market like that's not a cottage industry because you imagine the amount of people that would buy that because stuff. It, it's too early to it's too early to air this laundry that's the problem yeah. i mean because the the tell-all books about j you know the, the 80s and jn J, john nathan turner's era they didn't start coming out until the alts so like you know oh five oh six before just before the series came back so I, there's not enough water under the bridge. These people still work all in the same industry. They still see each other at the same prawn sandwich and cocktail parties, didn't they? So mm-hmm. it's it's too early. It's going to be 20 years before you can read this book, unfortunately. If only uh, we actually had a TARDIS, I could go and check this stuff yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> if only I was a fly on the wall and you could be there for some of these yeah. meetings. Um, because oh God, I'm sure there were some slam down screaming matches at some of these meetings i'm sure mm. but you never you never you never hear about that um well, yeah, just, just, just you know like one other thing some kind of dark behind the scenes shit from what i remember matt lucas said when he left and i hear this generally not everyone generally quite a lot is when they leave one of the things they miss is the set they say just being on the set i know chris mm. rickleson didn't think that but being on the set <laughs> is everyone's really and it make you feel welcome and um you know pearl mac is going on a set where she would have been maybe one of the uh, few women and one of the few black people on that set, but I understand everyone went out there were her, their way to make her feel welcome, make her feel part of the team, and you know they, they were just it was a, it was a good workplace. It was a mm. by and large on set at least a pretty healthy workplace. Yeah, and you don't always get that on yeah. particularly high profile television programs and movies. Yeah, I mean, when when things are really shitty behind the scenes, the, you do get the, the, these things do come to the surface eventually. I mean, sooner rather than later as well. Um, so I think the fact that the only person who never really seemed to fit in with all of it and is Eccleston, um, and he's, you know, I think that he's sort of made his disdain clear by staying away from everything Doctor Who as much as he possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but apart from that, he's pretty much the only one. Everyone else who's been involved with the show is still... You know, not essentially, maybe not doing the convention circuit, but is still some fun, way it. involved. They speak yeah, fondly they speak, of it at least. And they don't yeah. seem to regret doing it. No. No. Oh, shall we? Uh, shall we wrap it up there, gents? Anything else that anyone yeah. wants to uh, throw in? 
No, I'm fine. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, I've probably just... covered anything in about two hours. Yeah, I was just kind of <laughs> my notes. The only just tiny thing is, um, this comes back to what you, you were saying about the Dark Water Death in Heaven two-parter, because you mentioned mm-hmm. it on a podcast, Emma, and then I went back to watch it uh, last night, mm-hmm. was the, the Doctor's link to the Master. Um, and he mentions in World Enough in Time that um, the Doctor was his first friend in the Academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been alluded to in the past that the Doctor so it was pretty much a lonely, very scared child. Yeah. Um, so in terms of what Bill's like, why, I don't understand, like, you know, why do you care about this person so much? Is that it seems that the Doctor, the Master was kind of the Doctor's first friend of any, of, in any description. So yeah, I mean, cause... it does explain why the Doctor gives them such latitude and doesn't give up on them no matter what. Yeah, yeah I mean, because the... the, the the law holds that up that the idea that the doctor and the master were kind of the, you know, the two outcast kids essentially who ended up bonding over that fact, essentially that, you know, they were, they were the, the, especially in Tom Baker's era, that the time Lords are, are very staid and very mm. institutionalized almost. And the doctor and the master are the mavericks, the maverick kids, the outsiders, you know, the ones who want to go off and explore everyone wants to stay on Gallifrey and do a boring spreadsheet job so um yeah that's that's kind of why they're they're kind of stuck together in this way mm-hmm. yeah i think it's another one of the the, the shoulda woulda cutters of uh, series 10 for me is uh, you know much as i love pearl Mackey and matt lucas i mean i would have absolutely loved to have seen like a series of peter capaldi and michelle gomez and like make more of the redemption of missy arc yeah, because that that was like that was some like real prime sort of like. Um, it's rich for great storytelling. Yeah, as a storyline, it really is. And especially like to like see like how far Missy can actually like be good. Like how much of it is how much of it like uh, inherent evilness is just her or the circumstances that she has like lived in for all of her lives. Um, you know, what and I mean? what you need, yeah, what you actually need for that, and this is the same with the monk storyline. Mm-hmm. You need almost the old school. Doctor yeah. Who way storytelling over five, six episodes as a miniseries. Yeah. You almost needed that rather than one or two episodes. Yeah. I, I mean, that would have been great. I would have quite happily watched like more of that, but you know, unfortunately it wasn't meant to be. And unfortunately, well, maybe more... maybe there's something to be said for the mirror for the Torchwood um oh not Miracle Day, the other Ch- one. Children at Earth. Children at Earth. <laughs> the format where they did one episode every night for a week. Mm. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Less said about Miracle Day, the better. Oh, fuck off, Day. <laughs> and on that note, shall <laughs> yeah. we uh, wrap this up now? Yeah, let's wrap it up, lads. Okay. Yep. So, if you have any final thoughts about Series 10, you can send them to us at our regular email address, greatestshowsimplysyndicated.com, to our Twitter account at greatestshowpod, and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast. Whilst you're listening to us, feel free to check out our sister shows on the network. Simply Syndicated Movie News, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Masters of None, Do Ask Do Tell, Back Channel 66, Here Goes Nothing, Take It or Leave It, The Seventh Chevron, Little Pot of Horrors, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, Nerd Hurdles, Making Sense with Richard Smith, The Greatest Events in Sporting History, which you can hear uh, Shane and Jonathan on. Uh, for those about to rock, Dangerously Unprepared, Starbase 66, and Simply Syndicated Gaming News, also featuring me, me Carl, Emma. Ew. Ew. 
Uh, as always, we welcome your support, and the best way you can help us out is by subscribing to Simply Everything. For a monthly fee of just £6, you can enjoy a library of podcasts from the archives of Simply Syndicated, as well as episodes of the exclusive Simply Everything shows Shaken Not Stirred, and a spin spin-offs Oh Boy and Trust No One. Simply Syndicated also runs a merchandise store offering apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. You can also support the network through a monthly page on Patreon, or you can donate to the network through paypal.me, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So with that being said, thank you very much, Shane. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. And until next time, take care and bye-bye.